Well, I guess uh, thanks for the email. And uh, uh, do you want to start off by reading it so people know what we're talking about? My name is, I'm 27 years old, currently lost in life. I have three children of the ages of nine, eight, and five. I'm a full-time single father. I currently live with my parents due to high rental prices in the where I'm currently located. I'm destroying my life and I want to change that because I don't want to be a negative influence on my children. I've been watching your YouTube videos for the past seven months, which I came across by a fellow YouTuber. I just wanted to check if you don't mind that that wasn't a turn signal. I mean, I don't think it's good to do this while you're driving. Oh, yeah, I'm just pulling over right now. That uh, Okay, good, yeah, good. Yeah, let's, not, uh, let's yeah. not chat while you're driving. Okay, just let me know when you're in a stationary safe spot. So I'm ready right now. All right, all right. So I guess a little, a little backstory is helpful. How did you end up being a single father? What happened to the mom and, uh, and all that? So uh, all this started back in 2016. Uh, you know, I... We got separated. Uh, I found a couple messages on her phone. And, uh, you know, I didn't have to look any further to to know that she was cheating on me, right? And she's the one who filed for divorce. I, uh, how do I say this? Uh, I didn't get to see my kids for several months. It was really hard. And uh, I picked up drinking for a while. And then I had stopped because I thought to myself, if my, if I'm going to see my kids again, would they want to see me in the current state that I am right now? Or do I want them to see me as the best possible version of myself? So I had quit drinking for a while. And a year ago, or two years ago, we were still fighting custody over uh, in the courts. And uh, my ex-wife had told me that I was allowed to see the kids for a while, right? And she pretty much, at uh, last minute, she said no. And that day that I was supposed to get the kids, my best friend and I were supposed to go out, you know, with our kids because he has a daughter. And he was murdered that day. Oh my gosh! And what 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 happened with that? Yeah, it was. Uh, and that we were supposed to hang out or whatever, right? But uh, I guess he went to go do something else. I didn't. I didn't get the kids, and uh, and he he was murdered. And that's uh, was that's it, was it just like a random up. crime thing or or someone he knew or what? Uh, it was a uh, he they, they went out hunting or something. Yeah, they went out hunting. And I guess the people he was with. Uh, he he trusted them, I guess. And uh, that's pretty much what happened. And so, but it wasn't like a hunting accident, right? No. Wow. Well, it's classified as that, but you know, 
when you grow up in a, a, a rough neighborhood, you know, there's certain things that the police know about or they don't know about that the neighborhood does. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. It does for sure. It does. Wow. Well, I'm so, sorry to hear that, of course. It was really, it was, that, that was really hard for me. He, uh, he used to live a block away from me. So we would hang out all the time. And then one day I just get the call and he's gone. And that's what uh, pretty much started my alcoholism again. And, uh, and right now I have full custody of my children. And I, you know, it's, uh, I've been, I drink a lot, but it's not to the point where I'm drunk driving. You know, I, uh, I try to be careful with that because I'm with my kids, you know, 24 seven. So I don't let that, I don't want to put my kids in that danger. You know, I don't want it to escalate to that point. And how did you end up with uh, full custody? So in 2018, I managed to get uh, money through Fridays for my kids because I told my ex-wife, uh, she was working full time. I work, uh, I work, you can call it part time. So I get, uh, but I work seven days a week. So I work every day. I don't have any days off, but I only work like five hours a day. So that, that allows me to spend more time with the kids. So I pretty much told her like, Hey, if you don't let me be in the kids, uh, life, I'm going to sign my rights away and you're going to deal with them full time and you know, I, I, cause she, she wanted me to keep paying child support. I was, I couldn't take it anymore. You know, I, I, I was barely surviving myself. Well, and you weren't so really that, seeing your kids, right? Yeah, right, right, right. So it, it uh, the ROI wasn't really there for me. <laughs> right. So that got approved in 2018. A year later, she, which is just a couple months. I think it's in uh February of this year, she took me to court, you know, again, because she wanted uh, to reverse the custody. So for me to get them on the weekends, because she was getting them now on the weekends. But she worked during the week, you, right? So how could she? Right. Okay. Right. So, but, but the courts out here where I'm located, it, you know how it is, you know, with the feminism and the male patriarchy, all of this. They uh, they supply the mother an overabundance of resources, and you're pretty much guilty until you're proven innocent, and and I, that's how I viewed it, right? In the court system, right? Thankfully, uh, the judge. Well, there was a judge that was in charge of our case for a few months, and she she kept bringing the uh, putting these obstacles for me to. Uh, jump over and then she had an emergency and they had to replace the judge with a uh with a man and he pretty much ruled like hey this is uh this is unnecessary all this is what you're going through uh the court the, the custody say it stays the same right wow that's like falling out of an airplane and you know landing in a swimming pool that's a, a deep swimming pool that's <laughs> that's some good luck right there but sorry go on so in uh, 
back in. So after that happened, I would say June. Yes, it was June. Uh, my kid, I have three kids, right? The five-year-old came home with a bunch of bruises, right? And, uh, you know, we, I picked them up from her mother's, from grandmother's home, uh, care. Oh, boy. And and I didn't notice till a few hours later, and I noticed a bunch of bruises all over his face, uh, like in the back of his ears, his uh his body and I asked him like hey what's going on with you uh why are you all bruised up and uh he told me that uh mom's boyfriend uh, had been uh hitting him and picking him up by his ears and doing all kinds of uh abusive kind of things man I am so sorry about that what a what a gut busting emotional experience that some other man is manhandling your kids, man? That's I mean, not you, sh- not that you should be doing it, obviously, but oh man, that's that's a punch. That's a punch in the ass. Like I'm so sorry. That's that's brutal. And it, 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 that that was really hard for me. I had a, you know, I was gonna do, you know, I was gonna commit some stupidity, but thankfully, people came around. They were like, "Hey, calm down," you know. But uh, I called CPS, right? I called Child Protective Services. They came and interviewed all three children. And uh, I also found out that he was hitting my other two children. Uh, so that uh, Did your, that did your really... ex-wife know about this? Or was it when she wasn't around? Or... Shh, well, she would have seen the bruises, right? Shh. Right. I. So the thing is, she's a... Uh, a child development specialist. Uh, so she's a mandated reporter. And she knew all this was going on. And oh, so she, if she sees evidence of child abuse, she has to report it, right? Correct. All right. And so it was happening in her home, according to what you say. Right. And she didn't report it. Oh, man. And then? I, I, I didn't know she was a child development specialist. So I, I, you know, I... I we haven't spoken in years, right? We'll speak here. Oh, so here she and there, got but... this after you were married to her? Uh, yes. Right. Yeah, and I, you, you, of course, like you've only been communicating through lawyers. And Okay, I get it. All right. Correct. So, you know, I go through all that. The, the social worker, and this is going out throughout the week. This happened on a Monday. And as the week is progressing, you know, I'm telling the social worker, like, hey, I need something to be done about this because once Friday comes around, the kids, according to the court order, they got to go back to moms. And I don't feel safe with my kids going back to moms, right? Well, especially if the boyfriend was angry, right? If the boyfriend was angry about them telling or you finding out, I mean, the fear then is like additional punishment is going to pour down on the kids, right? Correct. Yes. So... The uh, social worker gave me a, she told me, okay, uh, she pretty much asked me if, if the kids stay with you full time, would you, would I be willing to, to accept that, uh, how do you call the, uh, that responsibility? I'm like, of course, they're my kids. And, uh, 
she told me to go file a police report. And I, I don't know the boyfriend. You know, I just seen him. I just know him by face. I don't. I, I didn't know his name. Last, I didn't know none of that. Right. So I told the uh, social worker, the child protection services social worker, I needed some information. She gave it to me. I filed the police report. And uh, at the police department, they were shocked because it came back that the mom's boyfriend is a, a police officer. Wow. So, and, you know, I have high risk, you know, I, I respect the, you know, the, the police department, the police officers, but to, you know, on top of that, it came back that he was a police officer, you know? So that really, uh, that really, uh, it was really hard on me, you know? Oh man. So like, again, just massive sympathies, brother. That is, uh, unbelievably brutal to, to go through. And I, I feel for you, man. I really do. I just want to make that very clear, but sorry, go on. Thank you. So, Child Protective Services did an uh, an emergency. Uh, okay, let me go back a little bit. They uh, they pretty much told mom like, "Hey, we do believe your boyfriend was uh, abusing the your children. You need to kick your boyfriend out if you want the kids to have overnight stays." And she said, "No way, that's not going to happen." She took the boyfriend side. Oh, man. And, uh, uh, you know, it's funny because these, in these yeah. stories, things rarely get better. But I'm still a little shocked at sometimes how bad it gets. But sorry, go on. Yeah, so they she pretty much said no way. And uh, they did an emergency custody removal which was for like a week or something like that because they needed to set up an emergency court hearing. But then uh, the social worker told me that the kids needed to see their mom according to the law, right, that weekend. So the meetup was at uh, mom at grandmother's house, which is mom's mom. And I told the social worker, like, hey, uh, what if they interfere with the investigation? You know, I don't want them to to start brainwashing my children to say that they made everything up, you know? And she says, okay, you know, we're going to make that clear to grandma and mother that they're not allowed to do that because it's going to get worse for them, right? So they went over the to grandma's house for a few hours on Saturday and Sunday. And then they were evaluated on on the following Tuesday, and they found out that mother and grandmother decided to try to tell the, convince the kids to say that they were lying about the whole situation and they had made everything up. So that part that, is, you that know, right no, that part is not overly shocking, I suppose, but uh, but but risky on their part. So sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't really surprised either, but it was uh, shocking to me why uh, 
you know, why would someone take uh, the side of someone? Why would they protect someone else besides the children? You know, that that to me itself was uh, was shocking. But that was a few months ago, and then we lead up to today. Right now, she has supervised visits because of that incident, monitored and supervised twice a week for an hour each day. She's not allowed to have any type of contact with the children. Right now, uh, our next hearing is in uh, in March to see whether they uh, the courts find it safe for the kids to go back to the mother's house. And uh, so, yeah. That's, uh, but it's it's hard to see. I, I mean, again, like I'm no lawyer or anything like that. But if the boyfriend is still there and they've already tried to convince the kids that they should retract their stories, then I'm not sure how I could see it becoming like a safe environment for the kids. Well, she she claims that the boyfriend isn't there, so that's what the courts are going based on. And I was speaking to my attorney like, hey, you know, she pretty much said a few days ago when this offers had happened, she's not willing to kick the boyfriend out. And now the boyfriend is out of the house, you know. And keep in mind, he's a police officer, so he's a mandated reporter himself, too. Right, of course, of course. Holy crap, man. Uh, what a mess. What a mess. What a mess. How are the kids doing? They, uh, you know, the, uh, my daughter, she's a, uh, she, she's a daddy's girl. She loves to spend time with me. She, she tells me she doesn't want to go back to mom's house because she, she, she says, oh, all mom does is put the TV on for us and, we sit at home all day. We don't do anything. So she she's already moved on. She's really, really mature for her age. She's uh she's seven. So that uh that is that in itself bothers me because a seven year old shouldn't be worried about that. You know, they they, they want to be kids, you know. Yeah, I know you hear this so mature for the uh, you, you hear this kind of thing like boy. You hear this kind of thing like, oh, she's so mature for her age, but usually what I hear is, man, she's having to grow up pretty pretty fast, right? Correct. And uh, the five-year-old, he, he, he has a rough understanding, you know, what's going on, but he seems pretty happy. The eight-year-old is the one who, who the older one, because he... He experienced both of us living together. You know, you remember. So, so does my daughter. The little one doesn't really remember. And he misses his mom a lot. And, you know, I told him, like, you have to understand that your mom didn't protect you when you needed to be protected. You know? I tell my kids, I don't bring my girlfriend around you guys because, you know, I don't want anything like this happening, you know? And it's just, 
I, I don't know if I make any sense. And that, uh, so yeah. Is there more that you want? I have a couple of questions about earlier on. Is there more that you wanted to tell me about the current situation? Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, I guess if you could tell me a little bit about your own uh, childhood, right? Because I would imagine that some some sort of thread or some sort of dominoes in your childhood led you to be a little bit more maybe susceptible or or attracted to this kind of woman or this type of woman and and what was your own childhood like and and how were you raised how were you disciplined that kind of stuff uh so my father uh when we we're growing up it was it, it was three of us right so i'm the oldest then it's my brother then my my younger sister she's uh she's like eight years younger than me so we uh we don't really have a connection, so it's my brother and I were uh, were really tight, you know. But uh, my father used to hit us a lot, you know. I remember my father hitting me every day, every single day for years, you know. Uh, and it, for me, it was kind of contradictory because we would go to church on Sundays, you know, and then throughout the whole week, I would get you know, hit with the belt, you know, my brother too, you know, and it was, uh, my father has apologized, you know, to us because he, well, at least to me, how he, he used to treat us because I guess he sees his faults. But what was, uh, I'm, I'm sorry uh, to hear uh, that again, of course, but what was his story about, you know, parents usually have to have some story about why they're hitting their kids like you were disobedient you spoke back you didn't do what i said you disobeyed whatever it is right what was his story as to why he needed to beat his children like every day what was his story that that he told to you because usually i mean the wounds that the, the bruises and so on they heal but the story is kind of what sinks into you if that makes sense like the story of of why it's being done that is usually what does the most harm as adults is a story not not obviously i mean unless the beatings left you with some crippling physical problem which doesn't sound like it but what was his story about why he was hitting you guys so much his story was that uh you know we would misbehave i mean we it, it, it was pretty bad too we would uh you know like one time i remember in elementary school I uh, I found a dead pigeon and I threw it in the teacher's lounge. I don't know. I I I remember that clearly. I was like five. I don't know why I did it. That was. It, it was mostly behavioral issues. Uh, I remember one of my friends. He uh. I he I guess he wasn't acting how I wanted him to act, and I I was wearing a belt and I hit him too with the belt you know and wait we so hang on Let, let's go back just the thing when you were five is really quite powerful right so you found a dead pigeon and you threw it in the teacher's lounge right and you said you're not sure why you did that i mean i think i might have an idea it's your life obviously so you're the final expert on it but 
I would say that, I mean, you were showing up to class, you know, you might be limping, you might have trouble sitting, you might be wincing, you might have bruises, maybe visible bruises. So you were coming to school with clear signs of child abuse, right? Uh, you could, uh, not, not really because the teachers never saw any bruises on me, but, uh, how do you know? I had, because uh, I guess the teachers never, uh, never, uh, brought it to my attention or to anyone else's attention. You mean like your ex-wife and her boyfriend? Correct. Uh, like, listen, that's that's a big statement. Yes. To say, hang on, that's a huge statement to say the teachers never knew. You don't know that, right? I mean, sort of factually, you don't know that for sure. There were probably dozens of teachers who saw it, and you know, it's it's pretty hard to hide those signs. You know, especially like you get you get ass whooped with a belt. It's hard to sit for a day or two, right? You're you're not running like a normal kid, right? I mean, you you hurt. It hurts like hell, and it lasts. So the idea that there weren't any signs that you sort of magically shrugged off all of the brutal effects of this physical abuse, and were just like a normal happy-go-lucky kid, I, like I can't see how that could possibly happen. I mean. You're not a superhero, I assume, right? So so you're going to not be able to shrug this stuff off physically. And the reason I'm saying it's a, like it's a remarkable thing to go through as a child who suffers physical abuse I mean, emotional abuse for sure, but physical abuse in particular because it's more easily detectable. A child who's been beaten with a belt cannot handle... Yeah, I can see that. The monkey... The, the... I can see. I never looked at it that way. Right. So a child who's been physically beaten with a belt, obviously beaten with a belt, like, like they, they just can't do the monkey bars the way the other kids can because they're aching and they're bruised and, and they don't have the fle physical flexibility. And they're wincing a lot. I mean, it's it's pretty clear. So I'm, you know, because those of us who went through physical abuse, we kind of sail through society with this big mark of Cain on our forehead, so to speak. And the mark of Cain is, I'm being beaten. And I know there's, the mandated reporting is, I guess, new. I don't think it was around when I was a kid. It's like, I don't know, 45 years ago or whatever, right? But we kind of sail through society. And unfortunately, we see a pretty horrifying view of society, which is... We're being beaten, and no one does anything. No one says anything. No one takes us in. No one asks us questions. No one calls the cops. Now, you, you're changing that, right? You, you see the signs, and you, you deal with it, right? But I'm going to assume, and you know, tell me, of course, if I'm wrong, but you went through, I don't know, maybe 50 teachers, maybe more, maybe 75 teachers. Maybe you went to summer camp. Maybe you were in daycare. Maybe they were other kids in your neighborhood, you're over at their house, their parents are around. I mean, there were probably hundreds of adults who saw you while you were being physically abused. And we're not talking like a little bit. 
You know, we're not talking like, you know, well, spanked too hard. I mean, we're talking belts. I mean, that is harsh on the skin. That is hard. That bruises like hell. And you move, you move like an old man as a little boy. And there were probably hundreds of adults who saw how you were being abused. And of those hundreds of adults who had every reason to suspect something, to suspect something, you know, I mean, because it's not just physical, right? I mean, you're nervous, you're depressed, you're anxious, and you're, you're quiet a lot. You don't talk about your home life. You're scared of authority. You flinch when people raise their hand to scratch their eyebrows suddenly. Like, there's a lot of signs, a lot of signs. And of the hundreds of people, and, and I'm not even talking about your immediate family or like your, your dad's family or your mom's family or, or like it's just hundreds and hundreds of people in the community, in the neighborhood, in school, in daycare, in family, in friends, and parents, like hundreds of people, adults, saw or were exposed to very, very clear signs that you were being abused. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, of course, but I would guess not one of them did a damn thing. Right? Now that is a hell of a that is a, that's fine. That's a hell of a thing to see in society, right? Because society is all about oh, we care about the children, and it's all about the children, and everything's for the children. And you know, you see these 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 magazines, uh, like oh, on the cover, it's like this child got separated from her mother at the border, and they're throwing children in these cages, and like it's the, the manipulation of of children, and you know, Greta Thunberg is out there. How dare you? You know, like. It, it, the, oh, but the children, we care about the children so much. But if you're actually a child being harmed in society, tell me, my friend, what did society do to acknowledge or protect you when you were going through this year after year? Nothing. And that's the reality of the world that we live in. And the people who aren't abused don't see it. And the people who are abused see it really clearly. And it's like same planet, different worlds, you know, that old phrase, like we just, we just view society very differently. And of course, all the people who weren't abused, they all imagined, oh man, if I saw a child who was being abused, I, I'd do something. That's what everyone says, right? I, I, w- I would stand up for that child, I would protect that, I would make the calls, I would confront, I would do, but they don't, right? They don't, in general. Now you do, with your kids, and, and man, good for you, good for you to infinity. But the reality is, society generally doesn't get, give much of a rat's ass about kids in terms of protecting them. In general, there's exceptions and so on, but that's like your experience, my experience, the experience of many other people who've called into this show. I know it's a bit of a self-selecting group and so on, but still, it's, it's, it's pretty damn common for no one to do anything to help children, to protect children. Yeah, good luck, kid. Walk it off. Shrug it off. And then, of course, it leads to a lot of adult problems. And, and the, so what lingers, like, again, the, the, the physical bruises, the, 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 the welts, the, you know, the, the discomfort, the muscle bruising and all of that, that passes. But your father's story about why he did it 
and your clear and certain knowledge of the indifference of society to the suffering of children, that stays. That stays. And like that's that's an additional like, man, great for you for standing up for your kids. I know it's hell. I know it can be hell, but man, talk about breaking the cycle. It's incredible. It's, you know, I, I see myself, you know, uh, sometimes I, uh, you know, well, I hit my kids too and I don't like it. You know, I spank them and it's not like I uh, hit them with belts or anything like that. And I just don't like it, you know, like I'm conscious of it because I, didn't, I know I didn't like it. And I remember you, uh, I think you, I watched the 21 convention video you did a few weeks ago where you said if spanking really did work, why do you have to keep doing it? And that really, that really, uh, that really stuck to me, you know, because, you know, I was pretty much beaten my whole, my whole childhood and it, it never worked. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, if, uh, uh, it worked in so far as it relieved some of your father's bad temper for a so- short period of time. I mean, it didn't work in terms of behavioral correction. You know, like if you get a physical injury and you go to rehab and the guy says, oh, you know, you do these exercises and you'll be better. And then it turns out you have to do these painful exercises for the rest of your life. It's like when you were sold a false bill of goods. Right. So. Yeah, you know, like a significant proportion of kids are hit even into their teenage years. You know, that's from the age of like one or two to like 12 or 13 or 14. Like how on earth could it be close to a decade and a half that you need to keep hitting kids if hitting works? It's like, hey, you got a headache, take an aspirin or whatever, right? It's supposed to get rid of your headache. But it's like, nope, you have to take 12 aspirins for the rest of your life because you had one headache. It's like, well, that's not a cure. That's just the sale. So... Yeah, so so what's going on with your kids? What what behaviors are they? I guess what's your story about about hitting your kids? Why uh, why is it something that that uh, you end up doing? Do you think? Uh, I think you know I I, I try to uh, everything I do I try to be logical. You know when I like I I get emotional myself. Like if I get angry if they're not behaving the way I want them to behave. You know, if they're uh, horsing around, you know, they're misbehaving or whatever, but it leads to that, you know, I, 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 uh, I've been cutting down on it. You know, they, uh, I've been issuing timeouts, which uh, kind of works, but it's uh the younger one is he uh he's a little bit more defiant than the the other ones my daughter you know she listens to me all the time she so does my my older son but the younger one is the one who struggles with behavioral issues kind of reminds me of myself when i was a kid you know and uh it's been getting better though and he had a uh he also had a pooping problem where he would uh, poop himself like all the time when he was over, when he was staying at mom's house. And then when he started staying at my house, it, 
it sort of kind of went away. He does it once in a while. And sorry, uh, how old is he again? Five. Right. So you understand that the pooping at the mom's place is the same as you throwing the pigeon into the teacher's lounge and at the same age, right? Which is he's angry. You're angry at the teachers yes. for not protecting you. So it's like, okay, here's a dead bird. And you threw it into the teacher's lounge because you assumed, I think probably deep down, that the teachers were discussing you and decided to do nothing. It's like, okay, here's your dead bird, you, you bastards who won't protect me. And if your son is, is pooping himself, it's, uh, I mean, I, I hate to compare him to a, a cat, but, you know, cats do this too when they're angry. Like if you go away and they're angry that you left them alone, they'll, they'll pee on your prized possessions, right, or whatever it is, right? So that's kind of behavior that indicates uh, that he's angry. Uh, and no one will listen to him being angry, so he just becomes, quote, inconvenient, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, kids, there's a lot of rebellion, a lot of rebellion from kids. And, and I really want to dredge this frustration and anger that kids have towards a society that doesn't protect them and bring it to the surface. Because when you, when you have that in your head, then you don't want to hit your kids. Like, you won't want to hit your kids once you, once you understand that, right? Because your kids, of course, like, there's an expectation, right? My kids should do what I want them to do, right? Correct. But you are, your life is full of people who aren't doing what you want them to do, but you're not hitting them, right? As you said, right. when you heard about your ex-wife's boyfriend, you were, you know, we don't have to get into details, but, you know, you were going to do something bad, right? But people are, right. and part of, part of why you didn't, of course, is, oh, man, there'll be consequences, right? I got to be there for my kids, right? Your ex-wife, I'm sure, has done things that you don't, you don't, you don't go around spanking her, right? So uh, it's uh, the judge or what, what, her lawyer, who knows, right? But there's lots of people who aren't doing what you want them to do, but you find a way to restrain your temper, right? But your kids, of course, are the most innocent. So they're not doing what you want them to do. Well, their life is full of people who aren't doing what you want them to do. And they see you not hitting anyone else who doesn't do what you want them to do, but only them, right? And so it's because there are no immediate negative consequences. And that's really, because, you know, you have the capacity to not hit people who don't do what you want because you've been doing that with your ex-wife and all this, you know, her boyfriend or whoever, right? So your kids know that you have that capacity. You just don't exercise it with them, right? And that's kind of humiliating for them. Like, why does everyone else get to be reasoned with, but we get to be hit? And I'm not saying you don't reason with your kids and all that. I'm just talking about on the occasions when you do hit them. The problem is that the consequences accrue. They, 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 the consequences gather in the hearts and minds of your children. It's just that the, the blowback comes later, if that makes sense. The blowbacks will come in their teenage years. Like, you can, like when you're bigger and stronger, yeah, you can hit your kids. You could yell at them and you can you can suppress them and, and, and they're like, okay, well, you know, you're five times my size. Okay. Uh, I, I got it. Right. But you know, Hey, old man, <laughs> you know, you're getting older and, and weaker and I'm getting stronger and taller. And if the bigger person gets to bully, well, guess what? In 10 years or eight years or whatever, I'm the bigger person. And then we'll see how things go. Right. So they just get, they kind of wait and bide their time and, and all of that. So, I mean, I think, I mean, I think you should not be hitting your kids, of course, right? And, and you, I think you know that deep down. You say you don't want to. But you got to think of the lessons you're teaching your kids by not hitting other people who don't do what you want and then hitting your kids where they don't do what you want. You're just saying, hey, if you're bigger and stronger and can get away with it, this is what you can do.
And uh, you, you know what? That's the uh, that's what I fear the most. Uh, for them to, you know, once they become teenagers, when they rebel, if they decide to rebel, you know, I don't want them to do things that are gonna uh, that can pretty much ruin the rest of their life. If that makes any sense, it certainly you know, does. I mean, you, your so, your friend, your friend you were talking about earlier, who went on the hunting trip. I mean, he obviously kind of got in with the wrong crowd, right? Right. He, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff. You know, I used to think very, very differently. You know, uh, prior to my divorce, prior to my separation, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was anti. Uh, anti-authority you know whenever i saw authority i would see uh how would you say uh kind of like any anyone that was authority they were oppressive does that make any sense so i had a distaste for for law law enforcement when i was growing up i experienced a lot of things where I, I never joined a gang or anything like that, you know, because my father was always there, even though, you know, we, he, we, he would beat us or whatever. But I knew a lot of people that were into that life. You know, it was like, like the thug life kind up, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and I don't want to get into details, but you do come from a minority community that has, I guess you could say an uneasy relationship with the cops in many, many situations. Correct, correct, yeah, and, uh, you know, I grew up with that, uh, 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 and it's, you could call it racism because it was, you know, because uh, what the schools and the communities would teach us, it's like, oh, white people are racist, and uh, they're out to get you and all of that, and you know, once you swallow the red pill, you know, you, you come to find out that it's all, it's all, it's all a lie. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, you've been it's, lied to. it's so shocking that we can't all get along better when everyone's programming us to hate each other. I mean, isn't, isn't that terrible? Isn't that just awful? You know, like you and I right. are dads and we care about the future of the world. We care about our children. We're struggling to make a way of it in a, in a sometimes very corrupt and, and dangerous world, you know. Why on earth would we end up hating each other? You know, we, we want to support each other. We want to help each other. I mean, that's that's what we're here for. And yeah, there's just there's so many people just whispering all of this poison into our ears about how we got to be enemies and, 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 and all of that. And uh, it's, it's wretched. It's absolutely it's absolutely wretched. So anyway, I don't want to get off on a big soapbox rant about that, although I could. But um, let, let's <laughs> let's stay stay with you. So uh, tell me a little bit about how you met. Your your ex wife, you know, what attracted you to her? How things went early on? So we met. We were like, I think we were like twelve years old when we met. We were in high school, but she she went to a different high school. So where my high school was, the uh, the public transportation would go to uh, pass by her high school first, and then it would pass through our high school. So. I knew a bunch of people that went to her high school and then and a bunch of people that went to my high school. We all knew each other, right? So that would take us down to the neighborhood uh, where we we would hang out or whatever, right? Because our high schools were like located in the upper class neighborhood, you know, but 
so that's how I met her. We uh we met her uh we would do graffiti, you know, all that stuff, you know, when you're growing up, hanging around with the wrong wrong crowd or whatever. So she was and like we, you were kind of like a bad boy, she was kinda of like a bad girl in a way, right? Yeah, yeah. So after that, you know, I ended up getting kicked out of the high school. Went to a couple of continuation high schools. What were you kicked out for? Was it fighting or graffiti or something else? It was behavioral issues, a uh, graffiti, but they never really caught me. You know, they uh, like I guess they knew, but they couldn't prove it. You know, and they were just pretty much fed up with uh with with my behavior. They're like, you know what, you gotta go. Was it was it your behavior uh, relative to the teachers? Or other students? It, it was... Uh, it was towards some teachers. Some teachers, you know, I had a good relationship with some teachers. It was uh, like we would skip class and... Uh, and like go around the hallways and sneak into people's classrooms and the teachers wouldn't notice. And we would do pranks and, you know... We uh, we did all that kind of stuff. Uh, right. So and, I mean, uh, you didn't yeah. you didn't really have much respect for the authority, and also you didn't. Ah, you know, I mean, you've got kids, right? So you try and teach your kids something, and and one of the first questions out of your kid's mouth is like, okay, why does this matter? Or why do I want to learn this? Or how is this important? And they may say that explicitly, or they may just indicate that they're not interested. And explaining to kids why they need to know something, right? is is kind of tough Correct. and it's really tough for teenagers if you don't respect the school you don't respect the teachers they fail to protect you when you're younger and now they want to teach you like algebraic long division and it's like yeah i don't you know i don't really get why this is important and you don't have any authority and this just feels like punitive like punishing busy work you know like it's just a way to trap me into not doing homework and be bored and have control over me and you know knowledge is punishment is uh i, I think it kind of rolls around at the base of our brains quite a bit when we're there like yeah my friends and i did pranks in in high school and uh it's uh it is a kind of i mean it's it's sort of a, a very upgraded version of pooping your pants when you know your kids at their mom's place or whatever right i mean it's or, or throwing the dead pigeon into the teacher's lounge i mean it's a way of of trying to rebel we did this thing too i don't know if this ever happened in your school where every now and then the kids would all just start coughing together and you know that's a that's a pretty uh, I don't know middle class kind of rebellion, but the kids like one kid would start coughing, another kid would start coughing, and then for like a couple of minutes we'd all be coughing. And what's the teacher going to do? Say stop coughing, uh, and, and eventually it would die out. But that was a sort of little right. protest, you know. I mean that's that's kind of sad, but it's all we could kind of muster uh, at at the time. So anyway, so yeah, you got kicked out. Did you end up going to your ex wife's school or or what happened? Yeah, so what happened was we ended up going to uh, to a charter school that's located in in an island. It's uh, we would get picked up from home. I went through several high schools and I ended up at this high school, and we met up there again. And you know we we would hang out, we would talk to each other, and as the the years went by, we started dating. You know, and we were we were minors when uh when she got pregnant with her first child. 
Right. So right, and and I mean, what was the what was, was the, that? What were the circumstances that you guys were having like unprotected sex? I mean, did you did you kind of think it through, or was it just heat of the moment, or what? Yeah. It it was pretty much uh, unprotected sex, heat of the moment, and we. Uh, now that I think of it, you know, it was like we were really, we we're really stupid for that, you know. Well, it because does kind of put your life on a. It kind of puts your no life on. Fault. A, it kind of puts your life on a train track at that point, right? Because you know, it's like okay, well, now we've got at least yeah. twenty years of of having this joint project, which is going to be pretty much all-consuming, called at least raising one child. So, uh, it does put your life on a real train track, and it means that your future capacity to break up becomes very, very limited, right, as you can see, because you've got this joint responsibility. Anyway, this is all stuff you know. I just wanted to sort of mention it to the to the audience as a whole. Now, give me just a little bit here, like if you could sort of look, you look back, right, as we do, right? We look back and you say, okay, what were the signs that this was not going to be a super great mom for my kids? Like, you're looking back, okay, so you mentioned the graffiti and so on. Like, what was her home life like? What was her life like? And were there... You know, you mentioned the red pill. What are the red flags that were out there that that people talk about? Oh, uh, definitely. You know, my uh, I grew up in a pretty conservative family. You know, they uh, you know, we're 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 Hispanics, right? But a lot of uh, Hispanics they don't know this. They uh, they grow up pretty conservative. You know, that we believe in hard work, all that kind of stuff, right? You know, I had uh, I had both my parents growing up, and she didn't. She she uh, she grew up with a single mother. Her mother had three kids in total with uh, three different guys, which was was a red flag. You know, the uh, the older sister had uh, she was a single mother too. She has an older sister. She's a single mother. And uh, she has a, she has a younger brother, which uh, which the dad is currently there, but you know he's an alcoholic. He's a uh, he uses drugs. You know, not the right uh, not the proper atmosphere for kids to grow up in. She she grew up in government housing. You know, under welfare, food stamps, all of that. My parents uh, didn't believe in that. You know, they uh, they were more of a they felt like welfare and all that kind of stuff is theft so it was two different structures of values if that makes any sense like on her family was like well we got to get over on the government and my parents side was like hey you got to work hard for whatever you want you got to work hard for it you know the uh her family was involved in, uh, in gangs. Wow. So. Well, you know, that leads me, my friend, to my next question. And I'm pretty sure you know what it is, right? Which is, okay, <laughs> what assets did she bring to the table to make up for this huge value divide? Which is another way of asking, how pretty was she? She, she, she She's really pretty. You know, she's a... Uh... Uh, she's really charismatic too so she uh she knows how to uh how to manipulate people to get what she wants 
So I guess I fell for that. Right. She, uh, I, 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 like, I see, I could see through her, like, now. I see, uh, you know, after taking the red pill, I can tell she's not a happy person. You know, she, uh, last year she, she had, uh, she was hospitalized. I forgot for what. She asked me to go see her at the hospital. I went. And and this this is one of the moments where I noticed how lonely she was as a human. You know, she, no one went to see her, her mother, her, anyone. And she, she resorted to her ex-husband, you know. Right. Right. Yeah, no, that I is went that. To see her. I went to see her out of respect. You know, it's not like I wanted to spark anything back up or anything like that. You know, it's. Uh, well, I mean, and, if, if uh, you have a kind of personality based on using people, then the people in your life want to use you back. And when you're in hospital, well, they can't really use you for anything. Right. So why would they come? Right. Right. So that 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 moment itself, you know, last year, I, I that's when I noticed I, I was there for, I would say, like 45 minutes. And. And that's that's. That to me in itself, I was like, she she has gone through a lot. Where she she doesn't even know who she is, you know, right. Now, do you know much about her childhood? In other words, uh, I, mean, I know a little bit, of course, about yours and, and what happened to you. But do you know anything about her childhood and the manner in which... I mean, it sounds like she was abused. Did you know the manner in which she was abused? She... Uh, I, I know her father. Her father, she... So her father... So I, I get two different stories. I, I believe what the father says... So she she grew up in a single mother's house home, right? She uh, her father, I guess, walked away because uh, I guess the mother cheated on him or something. And what happened was her mother uh, got with another guy, and that guy, I guess. My ex-wife and that guy had a connection, right? Uh, she looked at him as a father figure or whatever. And uh, her mom ended up dumping him and he committed suicide. Um. So she, uh, my ex-wife blames her mother because the guy committed suicide. Wait, was that because... her biological father? No, no, this was another guy. Another guy, okay, got it. So... A few a few years later, come by, which uh, she gets with another guy, and uh, she she has a kid with him, which is her younger brother. And she, she my ex wife, hates this guy. You know, she's claimed that he sexually abused her when she was like like eight years old or something like that. But she, he was younger, right? Wait, who? Uh, her brother? Her brother wa uh, was younger. I think he was a newborn at the time. I'm so sorry. I've just lost track of who, who sexually abused your ex-wife. So uh, the new man that came into the, uh, ah, okay, got the it. mother's picture, uh, her mother's picture. Uh, yeah. 
Right. So there was a new man that came around, and her father is not around, right? Right. So she she grew up hating her, uh, I guess, her mom's new boyfriend, and and she would uh, emotionally uh, torture her brother. I remember when uh, when I would go to uh, her mom's house. Her little brother would be playing around, and she, and she would like hit him and tell him, "Oh, you're fat," you know, all kinds of uh, nasty things. Well, I mean, obviously, and, uh, she was angry at her stepfather and took it out on his kid, right? Correct. And uh, I spoken to her biological father, and he he's pretty much said, "Like, hey, you know, I try to be there for you, but your mom always." says would say oh you can't see uh you can't see her today come back tomorrow so i guess my ex-wife would be waiting on the couch sitting waiting for her dad for like five hours and then her mom would say oh your dad's not gonna come today right so she blames the dad for the mom keeping the kid away from keeping the dad away from her right right Yeah, that's that's a tough thing, you know, with the single moms and uh, kids and uh, adult males, unrelated adult males in the house. Man, that's that's a pretty rough situation, and I've talked about that before, so I won't go into great detail here. But you know, kids who are with a a, a, a male in the house who's not biologically related to them are like thirty times more likely to be abused, and uh, it's it's bad, it's bad, uh, it's it's uh, really cranking out. Uh, a whole lot of, of, of messed up people. And um, you know, there's this old wisdom, right? You say your family's conservative, right? I assume that's the Catholic influence to some degree. And, you know, the old family structures, you know, they were there for a reason. You, you can smash up the family and, and you can have welfare and you can have rotating boyfriends and so on. And it's like, I guess that serves the immediate pleasure of the parents sometimes. But, I mean, it's the kids. Well, the kids can't vote, right? So <laughs> that's why, unfortunately, they just get thrown. Uh, under the bus, so to speak, but yeah, these there are a lot of people out there who want to prey on kids, and uh, if there's a dad around, they're they're kind of hampered from that, right? Which is why I think a lot of people who want to prey on kids kind of advocate smashing up the family so that you know the dad's out of the picture, they can get access to the kids, and you know that may have happened with your ex-wife's family, and that's uh, I mean that's hell, that's literally hell. I mean, it's one thing to be be physically abused, that's bad enough, but. It's a whole other level of, of ugly and creepy and dysfunctional to have this kind of sexual abuse uh, on you. And, and then, of course, for your mom not to, not, not to protect you, for you not even to be able to go to your mom and say, I mean, God, this, this, this guy's a monster. Get him out. She, you know what? She, had, she has a lot of hate for her mom, too, because her mom took her, her partner's side when she told her that. Oh, she told the, her uh, mom, and her mom sided right. with her partner. Right. right. Which mirrors, I guess, that, that you right. told your ex-wife about the abuse, and to some degree, at least for a while, she seems to have sided with, with her boyfriend, right? Correct. So, wow. yeah, that's, a, that's how she pretty much grew up, you know. It was a, there was a bunch of red flags, you know. She... She had tattoos, you know. My family's really anti-tattoos, you know. I, I don't have any tattoos myself. 
even though uh, the culture where we grew up in and it's uh, a highly Hispanic, you know, where a lot of uh, young Hispanic uh, males, you know, they and even the uh, the females, they they get a bunch of tattoos, you know, whether it's a gang tattoo or whatever it is, you know, that was a red flag, too. And so you knew all of this stuff, I guess, right? And I mean, you were a kid, right? I mean, you said you were underage when when you got uh, when you got pregnant. And did you think, like, what did you think about in terms of the future? Was it like, well, love will conquer all, uh, you know, she's she's going to be fine? Or, or was it, did you think that much about that, like, in terms of staying with her? Or it was like, well, she's pretty, and she's charismatic, and she's exciting, and, and she's hot. And, like, what was it, <clears throat> sorry, was there any sense of, like, where things were going long term? Well, uh, well, it's like I go back, we, uh, I wasn't... I wasn't really exposed to the single motherhood kind of thing. I think I was kind of naive about, about that. You know, now now that I look back, because my parents, you know, when we, we would go to family reunions or parties or stuff like that, it was, it was usually people, because my parents chose carefully who they associated with. So I didn't really see that many single mothers you know, in uh, in family settings or parties or anything like that. So I wasn't really aware of the issues that come along with children that grow up with uh, single mothers, you know. Uh, well, and it's not like uh, the media or the culture is helping you out there because it's always like the heroic single moms struggling because they were just abandoned by mysteriously bad men and they have no fault. And, you know, that's unfortunately you get a lot of like counter information to to what's often the case. Right, right. So uh, and, you know, now uh, I would see it in the school. You know, uh, I remember there was a kid where uh, I was in elementary school, too. He was a. At the time, he was my best friend, right? He, uh, we would hang out all the time, you know. We, we were like, me and him, we were like one of the, the bad kids of the whole school, you know. And he grew up without a father, right? He knew who his dad was. He would see him around the uh, neighborhood. I remember one time where we were in class and we looked outside the window and his dad was a roofer. And he said, he told everyone, hey, look, there goes my dad working up there. And the dad saw him and he was expecting for his dad to come down and say hi to him. But I guess they were going through a divorce. Now that I look at it, right, he couldn't get near the child. He couldn't he couldn't even come down the roof and say hi. You know, he he had a rough life. He ended up getting killed uh, through gang violence a few years back. Oh man! Uh, uh, so he's he's announcing to the class, "Hey, look, that's my dad." And then his dad doesn't even come down. Oh man! Oh, that's rough. Oh man! Right. That's harsh. That's really harsh, and that's going to leave a mark like emotionally. That's real deep. Yeah, that's one of the first signs that I saw with uh, struggling kids with uh, living under single mother homes. That that I see today, you know, with that particular person you know i 
my mom used to walk him home because and we were we were in elementary right my mom used to walk him home or when we would go to school he would he would tag along with us you know so he could walk with us he gravitated towards my dad a lot you know he used to call my dad uh grandpa you know it was uh it was pretty sad that that, that kid's story oh man you got a you got a lot of sorrow in your circle man yeah but uh you know this is uh and this is one of the reasons I emailed you, you know, because uh, I've been having a drinking problem where it's uh, I don't want I don't want my kids to grow up like, hey, it's OK to be drunk all the time. And, you know, I I tell myself, well, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink today. Next thing you know, I'm. I'm at a bar that's a few feet away from my house drinking, you know getting hammered and then the next day uh, I feel like crap, you know, and it's time going to waste, you know, my health. And I just really want, want to be the competent father that I know that I can be and that I should be and what my kids need, especially what they're going through, you know? Right. I, um, I admire that of course. And, you know, whatever I can do to help. How did you, uh, just out of curiosity, before we get into that, how did you end up finding what I do and, and what drew you into listening, do you think? Can you repeat it again? Sure. I just wanted to ask how you found, like, my show, Free Domain, and, and how you ended up being interested in what I talk about. I found out about you through uh, on another YouTuber, uh, uh, his... He he talks about you all the time. You know he he doesn't have a big of an audience like you. He uh, so it would it would, it was a big uh, so at, right after my divorce I was feeling kind of weird. You know it was around 2016 after my separation. I started doing research. You know like 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 what what am I feeling? Like it, it was. It was really weird. And then I came across the red pill. I came across uh, 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 a bunch of those guys you did with the uh, 21 convention uh, uh, across their YouTube channels. And it was just a big, uh, like, aha moment, you know, like, like, this is what I'm experiencing, right? And then this uh this YouTuber, he he talks about you all the time. He he swears by you too. So he says you oh, gotta listen uh, to Stefan Molin. That, that, that's good. Uh, slightly alarming, but that's good. <laughs> I guess so. Sorry, go ahead. He uh he could be uh, a little bit uh he's not as sensitive, I would say. Is uh most people out there on YouTube, you know, he curses a lot and all this. You know, he had a rough childhood too, but. And I decided to take a look at your YouTube channel and uh, I, I looked you up first. And the first thing I see on Google, it says, 
is this Stefan Molyneux? Is this alt-right uh, racist uh, person? You know, the whole... Yeah, we don't have to broadcast that. that stuff particularly, but let's just say there's a few negatives out there about me. And right, but you're like and you're like okay, well let's hear let's hear how nasty this guy is. And I guess it didn't seem nasty enough to you that you couldn't keep listening, right? No, and it was just it, it was uh, a lot of the stuff you talk about is I feel like okay, that makes sense. You know, I I see why that is. You know, I don't see. I don't see any uh, racism in this. You know, I don't see any. Just because it's true and you don't like it doesn't mean it's not factual. You know, it doesn't mean it's not what reality is. So, well, and I feel like a lot of people to be yeah. to be you know really really blunt and and with all due respect to your your dead friends. I mean, if if you let's say you take a bunch of Hispanic youths, right, and and you say to them. Well, you know, white people all just hate you, and white people are racist, and they just want to hold you down and, and, and keep you down. You've got no future. There's all this institutionalized racism. Well, it's going to fill their hearts full of despair and hatred, and despair and hatred is a deadly combination because it produces nihilism, which is like, well, there's no future for me, so I just live for the now. Why on earth would I care about the laws of my society when they're specifically designed to oppress me and my community and so on? And so... I think that, you know, what killed your friends was not bullets, but words. It was a kind of mind virus that gets placed into people's heads, and it, uh, it gives them no future. And when you have no future, you live for the present. You make decisions based upon, like, hedonism and, and you know, all of that stuff, like like you're just some mammal. And you end up getting yourself cornered into a kind of life or a kind of world where you might get a bit of money, but all it does is paper the way to an early grave. And I just think that's wretched and terrible, and I, I can't even express to you the anger that I feel towards all of the people who poison the minds of various communities into believing in this overarching racism narrative and so on, because, I mean, I don't know if they want to destroy people or, or if it's just an after-effect of, of some other... I don't know, maybe even worse plan. I don't know, but it's it's just so destructive. It's so destructive. There should be no foundational reason why we can't get along. I mean, yeah, we need to talk about differences, and we've I've talked about that to to, to the point where even I'm bored of it. But uh, we we just everything could be so much better, and we could enjoy and celebrate all of our differences instead of saying, ah, there's a difference. That must mean white people are evil. The law is corrupt. The cops are all racist, and you've got no future. I mean, God can, ugh. I mean, telling people that kind of stuff over and over and over again is about as destructive a thing to do as, as I could conceivably imagine, and it does lead to a lot of early deaths, a lot of irresponsibility, a lot of pointless confrontations with police that escalate. It leads to a lot of nihilism, and it, uh, it, it really, really makes me angry. It is the worst. I think it's one of the worst forms of abuse that's going on in the world today, so I'm, I'm very glad that you looked past the language and... Uh, actually listened, and and of course I'm incredibly glad that you trusted me enough to have this conversation, and and I appreciate your um, your courage and 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 caring for your children that that you're doing it. Oh well, thank you. You know, it's a uh, it's an honor. You know, it's it's like I said, I I enjoy your show. Uh, it's a uh, it's a level of brainwashing, I would say that. I've spoken to my friends about it, and they 
you know, they call me a race trader. They call me all kinds of things. You know, it's a, it's a, it's really uh, hard to digest when the people you grow up with that you really care about, you're you're trying to present them with the with a different point of view, and they uh, they uh, automatically categorize you as a brace trader, which. Uh, if it's if it's any uh, consolation, I get called that sometimes too. So it's uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's it's. I mean, it's one of the tragedies of just pursuing the truth. But I mean, what other choice do we have? I mean, the the disaster of the lies continuing to fester is so big. But anyway, let's we can talk about this perhaps another time. It's big sociopolitical stuff, and and it's really fascinating. But I really want to make sure that we talk about about you. Now, I was interested in everything you're saying, but also in particular that you said that you said, I'm not going to drink today, and you go to a bar, right? You go to a bar. Right. Now, why do you think, is, is it common that you drink at a bar rather than alone? Well, uh, yeah. And why do you think, I, I mean, it's uh, more expensive, right? But, but that must mean that it's more than the alcohol. Because if it's just the alcohol, right, you, you could drink more cheaply at home, but you go to a bar, and the question is, why? It's like, you know, double or triple the cost, but there's something in the bar that is more important to you than just the alcohol. I would say so, but uh, I drink alone. You know, it's not like I'm. Uh, no, no, you're in the bar. Yeah, I get that. You're, but but you're in the bar rather than home, right? And and I think I think that means something. Why is it that you want to go to the bar rather than drink at home? I believe it's because I want to escape reality. Nah, you could do that, but you could do that at home too, right? If you get drunk enough, right? There's something in the bar that is a plus that you can't get at home. I'm not really sure. Does it feel more social? Even though I know you're drinking alone and all that, but you're not like at home staring at a wall. You're like in a bar, there's music, there's people, there's a bartender. Uh... You know what? I don't even do it for the social aspect. I'm, uh, I would say I'm more of a, not necessarily an introvert, but it's just, uh, uh, it's not like I want, I'm, I'm going out because there's a bunch of people or anything like that. You know, if anything, this, this is a pretty quiet bar. I don't like being around like like at a nightclub or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. It's, it's just too much noise, too too much going on. Like you gotta, you can't even speak to someone. So I, I'm not really sure. I mean, I don't. This is something that just sort of popped into my head while while you're talking. I don't know if it makes sense or not. But when I left the business world for a while, I was working on. I wrote two two books, and I liked to write at the local Starbucks and. I could, of course, easily write at home, and I could have a coffee cheaper at home. Um, I, I loved lattes, but I didn't have the money to buy them, so I, <laughs> I'd buy an Americano and nurse it for like two hours. But I liked being there because it felt like it wasn't quite so alone, if that makes sense. It, it wasn't quite so isolated. I was with other carbon-based life forms who were around and, and so on. It wasn't, And it wasn't like I chatted with anyone. I actually sat there with like headphones on and listen to music while I, I typed away. So I wasn't there to socialize, but I preferred being where there were people because, you know, writing is kind of a solitary 
activity, and I liked just there being people, some noise, some movement, rather than here I am alone in my <laughs> in my room, you know, writing away. And so it it wasn't that I was there to socialize, but I preferred being in a social environment, even though I wasn't participating in it, so to speak. Okay. I, I, I see where you're going. I think I think that could be it, you know. Just uh Yeah, I could see that. And it also might hide from you to some degree. Like if you if you're sitting there pounding back drinks alone, staring at a wall, it's pretty hard to hide that you have a problem, right? But if you say, oh, you know, I'm going to the bar, have a beer or two, I'm going to unwind to whatever it is, right? It's a little easier to kind of mask that, that you have a problem, if that makes sense. Yeah. When did you first... Yeah, you... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, uh, Go ahead. Uh, when did you first start uh, drinking? I mean, and I don't mean like every kid tries alcohol and all that. I don't mean like they have a couple of... But like drinking to the point where it was like you know, hangover or, you know, what we used to call when I was a kid, uh, teenager, driving the big white bus, which is when you're kind of leaning over and throwing up into a toilet and gripping the porcelain around the edge. Uh, when did you first start drinking to, I guess, to excess? It was uh, right after my uh, my friend uh, passed away. You know, the one that went hunting right after that. It was, uh, so I had three friends that I would hang around with, right? I mean, two. So it was three of us. So it was me, the the person that passed away, and another one. We all went to the same middle school, high school. We hung around together. Uh, my friend that passed away left the daughter behind. He was struggling too, you know. I guess I would hang around with him, you know. We we uh we would hang out every day cuz he lived a block away too from the from where i lived the bar was like literally a block away from our home and the other guy uh he ended up uh becoming a drug addict and he we stopped hanging around with him he ended up uh started using crack and meth and he just wandered off to to the streets and then after my friend passed away like we would hang out we wouldn't get hammered or anything like that but after he passed away i guess it would you would you could call it loneliness uh one of the reasons i drank you know i would uh uh we would talk about like philosophy and all this kind of stuff you know uh I guess you could say I would have an, an intellectual conversations with him. And uh, if you uh, like from my point of view through society, how I see society, you know, I see people. Like, I, I guess you could say I do feel lonely because everyone else is uh, subscribed to the latest uh, music or the latest trends, the latest uh clothing all all of that and to me that doesn't uh to me that doesn't really bring any value into my life i don't know if that makes any sense they uh yeah it does they uh they all uh i guess you could say commit financial suicide by buying the the newest mercedes or, or 
the newest cars, the tr- all of that, and and I can't really see myself connecting with those people. You know, I've tried to, and I've came to the conclusion: why am I gonna? Uh, I don't see myself surrounded with those people. You know, so I would say that has a lot to do with it. And and parenting, like parenting, is a single parent. It can be can be kind of lonely, and it sounds, you know, oh, you've got your kids there, and so on. It's like, yeah, but they're kids, so you're not going to sit there and have philosophical discussions about the nature of society with a seven year old. At least, I don't think you should. Uh, you know, I mean, you can talk about ideas and all that, but uh, you know, age appropriate conversations. I mean, there's a reason why they're still kids, and we're adults, and we're independent, and they're not. Is that their brains are still a long way from maturity. So, being a single parent, uh, you know, can be can be pretty lonely, right? I mean, I remember seeing some show. It didn't. It had to do with parent. I think it was like a super nanny or something. And you know? I think it was this guy in Alaska who had four kids, and he was a single dad and all that. And you know, he would sleep in the same room as his four kids. And and JoJo, what was her name? She she basically said, "Well, that's because you're lonely." I do the same thing too. Yeah, yeah. So, you, I mean, it's, it, 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 I mean, we're, we're kind of designed to have adults around and kids around as a whole, right? And not to sit there and just, you know, play hungry hippos for like 12 hours straight. It, it's, we, we need that sort of spiritual nutrition of, you know, words with more than three syllables or two syllables or whatever, right? So there is, right. I mean, there's real loneliness in, being a single, being a single parent, and uh, you know, once you are a single parent, particularly if you have three kids, it, it, it's sort of my humble opinion is that the, the the one mark of the quality of a woman is her desire to have children. Now, if you already have like a custody battle and complications and three kids, then you know you, it would be a little bit tougher to attract a woman who wants. I don't know, two or three kids as well, right? Because your resources kind of already tied up and it's complicated. So uh, it, is, it, is a, it is a challenging life. And, and just another reason why I wanted to take the call is, is you know, we hear a lot about single moms and, and all of that, but single dads, you know, it's just, loneliness is a, is a significant problem in, in this uh, environment. And if you feel alone, and you can't get company, one thing you can kind of do is erase yourself, if that makes sense, because then you're not alone, right? To be alone is to be a person in isolation. And if you kind of unperson yourself through alcohol, then you're not alone, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that does make sense. You know, uh, I'm really thankful for my brother, you know, because he he thinks uh, similar to the, the uh, to what I do, you know, he, we hang out a lot. We could, you could say almost every day, you know, we have these talks and, uh, he, uh, he also doesn't have any friends, you know, he, he, he doesn't have an alcohol problem. He, uh, he, he lives with his wife and his, his, his children, but, uh, you know, he, uh, I guess he sees the world uh, the same way I see it. You know, it's uh, I don't know. I, I I really don't understand what it really is. That's that's my main. Uh, like I, I I know I feel lonely, even though I'm surrounded by a bunch of people. But 
when I try to engage myself with uh with other people, it's uh it's usually oh, did you see the game or did you, did you see the football game or I'm gonna go get this car? And it's like to me that's not you know, it's materialism. I like that really doesn't. Well, it's boring. It's boring, right? Yeah, it's, it's boring. Uh, it's boring and. I don't know. Like, I mean, small talk and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's fine. And, you know, when you normally, when you meet new people, you know, not at these calls, right? But when normally when you meet new people, there's a little bit of small talk. You're kind of gauging each other and all that. To me, small talk is, I don't know if you've ever been like, you go diving in the lake or in the ocean or whatever, and like you've got a snorkel or something. You kind of go down and then you've got to come back up, right? And, and for, for a lot of people, that's like a deep conversation. Like I can have a deep conversation, maybe for a couple of minutes, but then I got to come back up for air and I got to stop, right? Because it's, it's, but I think for people like us, it's kind of the opposite. Like we can have small talk for a couple of minutes, but then we want to get to something more real, more, uh, Correct. More, sub- more substantial, something that's not just like, to me, small talk is like junk food. Yeah, it's fine. You know, every now and then you can have, I don't know, half a handful of Skittles, not going to kill you or whatever. But a steady diet of it will just destroy you, right, I think. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, to avoid the thirst and need for a deep conversation, but it's kind of tough because those deep conversations, can get, they can turn pretty volatile pretty quickly. Or people can just shut them down if they find themselves getting uncomfortable, which they often do, and then blame you, right? Like, you're making me uncomfortable. It's like, mm, it's not me. It's not me. People get mad at me. It's like, it's not me. It's, I'm, just, I'm just a guy making sounds, right? Uh, it's whatever, the truth, the argument, the, the, the implications of, of what I'm saying. Who, who knows, right? But there is a great loneliness in thinking deeply. And there is a great prejudice against people who think deeply, which to me is just basically thinking, right? And there's a hostility. To me, there's a big war. It's kind of a subtle war. It's like an underground war between the deep and the shallow. Now, that has something to do with intelligence, non-intelligence, although, you know, you can have smart people who are very shallow, uh, and you can have less smart people who are really deep. I, I've sort of experienced both sides. But, you know, there's probably a bit of a correlation, but it's not, not like perfect or anything. But So it's tough, right? So you want to have actual, meaningful important philosophical conversations and it's hard i'm so glad that you have your brother for that right and you know you're home and and you've got all these thoughts going on in your head right all these thoughts going on in your head and the best way to organize your thoughts people think oh keep a journal and a diary and write okay that's that's good and that's not bad at all but the best way to organize your thoughts is through conversation and that's why people who, like the powers that be, that don't want our thoughts to be organized, they are constantly interfering with the necessary conversations we need to have, right? And right. It's, it's, you know, thoughts, thoughts outside of conversation just tend to race around like, like those hamsters in a wheel or a train around a little toy train track or something like that. Just go round and round. And you find yourself revisiting the same perspectives over and over. But in conversation with, with another human being who can, can talk back to you and, and, and help you work out ideas and contribute their thoughts, you get somewhere. And that's why conversation is, is so essential. And that's why, like 15 years later, I'm still very eager to have conversations like this. So it's hard. This battle between the shallow and the deep, 
is kind of like a moral or intellectual civil war that's going on. I think it always has gone on in the world, and uh, I think it's going on right now. And I think that you might be self-medicating away the uh, isolation, right? Because how do, how do the shallows punish the deep people? Well, they, they isolate them, right? They, they, they talk smack about them. They talk shit about them. They, they whatever, I try to drive other people. So they isolate people. And that's hard, right? Now, you, of course, being a guy who's divorced, uh, being a guy who's you know, currently going through a, a, a very difficult time with his ex and, and has been doing that for quite some time, and who then still has to, you know, you're sitting with your kids and you don't want to be Mr. like, oh, you know, things are going badly and it's really stressful and you want to be there for your kids. You want to be, you know, peppy and positive for your kids. And that, that takes something out of you too, to, to put on a happy face, which, you know, again, I'm sure you do and I respect you for doing it because they're kids and they, you know, this is more than they should, should know, but it, it takes a bit of a toll, right, to, to, to be that way. Yeah, it does. It's uh, it's it's really hard, you know. Sometimes I, it's it's hard to describe. It's uh, like I've gone on. I think uh, I've always felt, you know, growing up, I uh, I guess I always felt like I was stupid because I never got good grades or anything like that, and uh. But the way how I saw, I guess, how I saw society was, uh, I guess everyone was a conformist, if that's, uh, and anyone outside of that, uh, if you don't fit into this box, you're, uh, you're pretty much outcasted. And, you know, growing up, I was, uh, I guess, based on the level of indoctrination, I was able to hide it, right? So I was able to uh, go in certain circles, you could say, and uh, mask myself, and people had no idea. But uh, you were able to right blend. Now, <laughs> to correct, blend. yeah. To to I turn two dimensional and slip into the flatland of of cliche. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right, and it, it's uh, like right now, I'm in a point in my life where it's like it's too exhausting to try to blend in. But it comes with the consequences of, of loneliness, if that makes any sense. But I, I felt that regardless. And uh, I felt that regardless, even though I was trying to blend in with the crowd, you know, I do that once in a while. You know, I do it just to see how. How. Uh, how those uh, social circles interact with each other and it's uh it's pretty disgusting what I uh, come across. I, uh, you know, because I'm brown skinned, right? And I lean more towards, uh, you know, I'm Hispanic. I lean more towards conservative. So I'll give you the perfect example real quick. Uh, a few days ago, uh, our culture uh, celebrates Day of the Dead. It's called Dia de los Muertos. And I decided to take my kids to a small parade or festival. And uh, the level of bigotry that was within it, I, I couldn't take it. I was only there for for a little bit. They were protesting, uh, 
you know, whatever the the social norm norms are, oh, anti male, anti this, it it has become this political movement instead of this uh this uh how do you say a culture holiday where you celebrate the dead and it's done a three sixty where where it's like okay, you know, I'm not gonna go out there and blast my beliefs to everyone else, but. I can easily sneak into these and blend into these uh, circles where, where I felt lonely at that, uh, at that, uh, at that event. Because no they, really they like have me. a political agenda that 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 you don't share. Correct. Right. So that uh, that all, all of that has a lot to do with it. I, I've even been thinking of cutting out the internet because I feel like that has a lot to do with it. You know, with uh, with what I'm uh, going through. Yeah, the internet sense. is one big giant experiment in how much bad news can individuals take on any given day, right? Yeah. So, so did you have any other questions? Well, I have a couple of things to say, and and you can interrupt as you see fit. Obviously, this is this is your life. So these are just my thoughts. But I think that there are people like yourself, like myself, who want to have conversations with you. And I think the drinking comes from the shallow people. So I think the drinking, like your impulse to drink, comes from the shallow people to keep you from connecting to the deep people. It's like your punishment or your curse for not being one of them. So I don't think that you're drinking fundamentally to avoid loneliness. I mean, I think that that's an immediate thing. But you know, of course, the drinking is going to intensify your loneliness down the road. Because when you're drinking, you're not out there creating meaningful connections with people you can have conversations with, right? In fact, you know, sort of sitting there in a bar drinking alone, you know, like like people are going to look at you like, well, that's, you know, that's not good, right? So I think that this is kind of like a moat that's being put around you. And I think it's actually serving the needs of the people who don't have your best interests at heart. And it's kind of like an unconscious battle that that goes on, right? So I think that the drinking... Yeah, it comes out of an immediate need to not feel lonely. But it's kind of like, I don't know, like this, this, this incel thing, right? This involuntary celibate thing that's like the big new insults on the internet and so on. And it's about, you know, young men who, because there's a lot of hookup culture and a lot of sleeping around, uh, you know, the top 20% of men get like most of the women and uh, the, the, the rest of the men are kind of left out in the cold. And it's this big, big insult. Like it's not the result of women chasing men using their sexual market value as their bargain chip, which is kind of humiliating and gross. It's not the fault of women at all. It's just men who are neckbeards and live in their parents' basements. Always, always their mom's basement, like never their father's basement, right? But the incel thing switches later in life, right? So the incel thing for women is, okay, they hit the wall, they're 35, 45, or whatever plus, and now they're involuntarily celibate because they didn't use their youthful sexual market value to lock down a good man and they didn't get into a good relationship and they don't have kids. So now they become invisible in the same way that the majority of men are kind of invisible to the alpha-chasing females when everyone's young. When everyone's sort of middle-aged and older, the women then become invisible to everyone else. So there's this, you know, this kind of flip on the incel thing. 
So the incel is kind of like an argument that boomerangs, right? Because as the men are involuntary celibate, a lot of times they'll work on advancing their career, saving some money, and, and maybe they'll start exercising or whatever. So they become much more attractive. And then the women who won't date the men when the men are in their 20s, those men when they're in their 40s won't date the women in their 40s. They'll date younger men. So the whole thing just kind of flips around. And it's one of these things that it's kind of unfair because the women get the short end of the stick, so to speak, later in life when it's too late to fix it. And the men often improve through rejection. And the women, by the time the rejections roll in, it's kind of too late to make the eggs new or whatever. So, so, so sometimes it's kind of like a reversal. And with this situation where you're compelled to go and drink, you're out in public advertising your loneliness, which is not going to be something that brings good people to you to to have a chat. Now, I mean, like if, if I don't know, just take some silly example, you join, I don't know, a photography club, a, a, a book club, or whatever it is, right? Well, then you're out there having conversations, you're not drunk, and, and you can actually meet the people you can uh, connect with and, and have friendships to replace, you know, the friend who you've lost to drugs, the friend who you've lost to, to a bullet, uh, and uh, you don't have a replacement plan. And obviously, like drinking alone in a bar, that's not a replacement plan, right? So if it's not serving your needs, it must be serving someone else's needs. That's, that's a foundational thing, right? And so if you drink in, in a bar is not serving your needs, which it's not, then it's serving someone else's needs, and those needs are not, like, kind of in opposition to yours. Yeah. <laughs> I think the bell of truth went off. <laughs> I hope, anyway, I hope. So, oh no, it's a yeah, yeah. I guess the door, right? So, so if if you can if you can understand, or at least if this is a reasonable approach, that your drinking is there to keep you isolated, that it's serving the needs, it's kind of like a social punishment or an ostracism moat around you that the shallow people have kind of put around you, or I guess caused you to put around yourself, then it's kind of a punishment against yourself for not conforming to the shallow people or whatever, right? Now, if, if that's the case, then you can replace drinking, which puts you in an isolated position, which then you want to self-erase in order to not feel the loneliness. But if you don't put yourself in as isolated a position, then I think that your desire to drink will go down because, you know, I got to tell you, man, I'm sure that if you had a great conversation to have instead of a drink, you would choose the great conversation. I mean, I assume you're not drinking now, right? <laughs> you're in a car and all that. No. But, but you'd rather have no. a good conversation than a drink. But the drink is interfering with your good conversation, and that's my, I guess, major concern. Yeah, you know, that uh, definitely I would rather have a, a, a great conversation uh, with someone else. It's... Uh, you know, uh, I didn't. I didn't bring this up earlier. I, I've even uh, isolated myself from women. You know, I don't. I haven't dated after uh, my separation. It's just. Uh, did you mention a girlfriend earlier? Did I mis mistake that for something else? Uh, yeah, I did, but that was uh, uh that that was just for uh, when I said when I gave the example to my kids, like I don't bring my girlfriend around you guys. I don't have a girlfriend. So, so they can, I pretty much told them that so they can see that, okay, mom's boyfriend shouldn't be doing this. So my girlfriend isn't going to do that to you guys. Right. Does that okay. make any sense? Now you understand so, though, let's say a quality woman comes into a bar and sees a guy drinking alone. She, you're not going to be first on her list, right? Right. 
but sorry, so you, you kind of, and this is the thing, right? When you sort of understand the, the, the court system and, and how it's somewhat corrupted some aspects of female nature for some women, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of tough to, to get back on the horse again, so to speak. It's, uh, how do I say? I haven't even, I haven't seeked for it because I don't know if that makes any sense. I've, uh, I ha I've had a bunch of opportunities, but I look at my circumstances. Then I look at the, uh, the women I, I want to engage with or right and it wouldn't be fair to me, it wouldn't be fair to my children, and it wouldn't be fair to the other person. If that makes any sense. First, uh, you know, I have an alcohol problem. Second, uh, I'm going through all these legal issues with uh, my ex-wife. And my kids need a, a competent father, you know. And throwing another relationship into this mix, I know it's not going to help out it's not going to help out especially well, I, yeah, when I think, uh, I think you most need a friend at the moment or more friends right right i uh and you know i've gone to uh a couple uh i don't know if you heard of meetup.com they yeah. have a couple uh like group settings and all that and it just it it doesn't really cut it for me it's uh it's really hard you know when uh when uh you want to talk about specific things and then and then no one else is uh you know pretty much the va I, I would say the vast majority of people in this country are are uh or into the latest trends, you know, and that in itself, you know, especially women around my age, you know, they don't want to be uh, uh, intellectually stimulated. They want to be doing whatever they're doing, you know, they want to go out and party and do this and do that, you know, and so it's not like a, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even call myself an incel, you know. Yeah, you have the I'll, opportunity, I'll, but you don't want to pursue right, it. Right. Right. It's uh I don't think it's the right moment for me at the time. Right, right. Right. Especially that I'm a full time uh father. And what happens and uh, what happens if you can't get your drinking under control over time? Like what how's that gonna play out, do you think? I can see it. My, uh, I can see it. You know, I can see what's happening. Uh, you know, I had an uncle where uh, he was an alcoholic for like twenty-seven years or or like thirty years. My father was an alcoholic, uh, but he stopped drinking for like when he. Uh, yeah, I think when I was like three, he stopped drinking. So I, I never saw his alcoholism. But uh, my mom tells me it was pretty bad, you know, where he would uh, he would get drunk and be like, oh, let's go out. And he'd go drive in or whatever. And, you know, that's uh, I don't want that, you know. I don't want to put my uh, self in the situation where I'm just 
drinking every day and driving around with my kids, you know, and, but I can, I can see, I, I, I know I'm an alcoholic because I specifically choose the times where, when I drink, where I don't have to drive. I don't know if that makes any sense. And if I have to be somewhere and I end up drinking, I, uh, I'll end up catching an Uber or, so you could say I'm responsible in that aspect, which yeah, but it's, really it's hard on your finances. Like it's hard on your finances. It's hard on your health, and uh, you know you want yeah. you want to not have this in your life, right? Yeah. Now listen, I don't know how to stop drinking, but I do know this: that if you get to the root of a bad habit, it's a whole lot easier to let go of it. If you just try and like white knuckle, it's called you know like I'm just not going to drink, and and you don't sort of figure out why you're drinking. It's usually a losing fight. It's it's like dieting, you know, like I'm just not going to eat. It's like you got to get to the root of what's going on with overeating, and I think when you do, it becomes a whole lot easier to to change, right? So, so that's that's sort of why I'm looking at what might be at the bottom of the drinking, right? If it is a form of self erasure because you're lonely, if it is a form of kind of warding off good people because loneliness is is the curse that is put upon you by the shallow people of this world for asking uncomfortable questions and so on, and like, if you can get right to the bottom of it, then in my experience, it's a whole lot easier to, to sort of fix things when you get to the root, because you get to the root, and you're not then trying to hold up a heavy weight, you know, like those, those stress exercises, you know, hold up, hold 20 pounds at arm's length. It's like, yeah, you could do it for a while, but eventually your arm's just going to go down, right? Whereas if you're not in that position, you're not fighting a losing battle. So that's sort of why I'm trying to figure out, like, what's at the root of it. Now, listen, here's, here's the pluses, right? This is what I want you to be happy and proud of, right? In, in my opinion. It's more than an opinion. I think it's a fact, right? So you were brutally treated as a child, my friend, and I'm incredibly sorry for that. And I'm sorry that nobody lifted a damn finger, it would seem, to help you. And I totally understand your frustration and anger. And you just, uh, none of us can look at the society the same way if we've gone through that situation. And gone through it repeatedly year after year and even if, if you're an adult right you're an adult if, if this topic comes up or you tell people a lot of times uh there's just this uncomfortable silence like well don't don't tell me right <laughs> because what people do is they then sit there and think well wait a minute did i know any kids that i didn't help when they were kids being abused or whatever or when i was or do i know anyone now who i right? so it's a big uncomfortable topic for for everyone so but here's the thing like you were beaten and now you I think sometimes or occasionally spank your kids. That's huge progress. Listen, don't get me wrong. I'd like to set the flag to not hitting your children at all uh, and all of that, but uh, I think it's important to say just what you have achieved, right? You stood up for your children in a way that nobody stood up for you. You kept your children safe in a way that nobody kept you safe. I I don't know if you get just how incredibly admirable that is. And how much you have achieved in, a, in the span of a single generation in moving towards the protection of children. You acted. I think you should be incredibly proud of that. I know you should be incredibly proud of that. But there's a battle, right? Because society doesn't want you to do what you're doing. Because if you save children, then other people could have done it too. They get mad at you deep down. And there's this kind of tug of war that goes on under the table kind of thing. So I think you have so much to be proud of. You came from a, a hellish background. 
and you have worked very hard to protect your children, and you're doing it. You've got them out of an environment where they were being beaten, it sounds like, right? So, holy crap, like, you could, you could rest on that medal for the rest of your life. And now, of course, you're a restless spirit, and, and you, you want better for yourself and your kids going forward, so I'm sure you will continue to, to, to work to improve things. But I'm not sure if you really get just how amazing a job you have, like what, what kind of amazing job you have done to protect your kids in a way that you weren't protected. Do, do, you, do you see that, what I'm saying? I see what you're saying, but uh, that's not how I feel. Okay, so what's, what's the feeling? Like you, you, you feel I, like you I failed, f- right? Right. I feel like uh, I feel like I failed. I feel like uh, at the same time, I feel like I needed to be, uh, I had to do what was necessary. You know, what was, uh, it was, it was necessary for me to, you know, pretty much step up like, hey, you can't be doing this to my kids. You know, it was, uh, for me, it was common sense. Like, hey, this can't be going on. I'm not going to allow it. Especially to my kids, you know. Yeah, okay, but look, you are wrestling with half decisions that were made when you were still a minor, right, in terms of pregnancy and all that, right? Right. So, listen, I I don't think you can go back in time to before you were even an adult and say, well, that's just all failure, right? Look, you love your kids, obviously. You care about your kids. And I'm sure that you're happy that they're in your life. So... You know, the decisions you made when you were young or the lack of decisions you made when you were young, that's just stuff you have to live with now. But going back and saying, well, it's all just been a failure. Well, first of all, that's going to be tough because if you have that sense that you're a failure and your failure involves your kids, what are your kids going to feel? That they're the product of? Failure. Right. You don't want them to feel that, right? No. I mean, it's, it's perfectly fine to say in your heart of hearts, I wish I had chosen a different mother, but I'm incredibly happy with my children as they are. I mean, I know those things are kind of logically contrary. You chose a different mom, you'd have different kids. But those two things, as far as moral stances, are perfectly valid. Okay. Right? You can say, I wish I'd chosen a different mom for my kids. But I'm incredible. Like my kids are not the result of failure. They're not the result of bad decisions. I mean, but aren't they? Because uh... no, because your your children did not make those bad decisions. So they themselves, you can say, oh, biologically, blah blah blah. But your children did not make those bad decisions. So there's no failure in your children. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, I understand. But from my end. But who cares? You know, uh, no, of... you're a dad. Your end doesn't matter as much anymore. Because if you indulge in the I'm a failure, that's going to spread to your kids, right? Right. But your kids are not failures. And your kids, in terms of their nature, they are not the products of failures. They're the products of conception, which is a biological process. And I guess the only <laughs> success they had was, you know, that they were viable pregnancies that came to term and they're healthy or whatever, right? So there's no failure in the nature or existence of your children. That makes sense. And the best way to teach them is to own long-ago mistakes 
yeah, it was a mistake. But listen, man, did you have any better example? Did you, did you your father, unfortunately, I don't know if your parents opposed you getting together with this woman. They might have. But unfortunately, your parents had stripped their credibility from you because your dad beat you and your mom stood by. So you're not going to listen to them, right? Right. And that, see, that's the problem. That's, I, I remember I was saying sort of earlier, the problems with hitting your kids come up down the road. It's so important to maintain your moral authority with your children, and you do that by not hitting them. Because once you hit them, you don't have any moral authority because you're just pointing out that you're bigger and stronger and have the legal right to do so, which you know, is not a moral position, but a position of strength, of power, right? And bullying. So you want your children not to make the mistakes that you made, and the best way to do that is to raise them as peacefully as humanly possible so that when you give them advice when they're older, they don't sit there and say, hey, man, you hit me. Why on earth would I listen to you? And then they just go off and make the same mistakes. Now, that's really going to hurt, right? I mean, that's really going to be painful because then you get to see the same mistakes playing out. And that's, you get, like, you really, really want to avoid that, right? Yeah, and that's, uh, that's pretty much what happened to me when I, once I hit my teens. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much, I pretty went, I went pretty loose, you know, I went pretty wild. But sure. Because you've got and, hormones, you've got newfound physical strength, you've got uh, sexual desire, you've got physical maturity, uh, and, and you have no one that you respect enough to listen to them with regards to caution and self-restraint and, and saving yourself and so on, right? You, you just, yeah, you, you, you turn wild. I turned wild. I mean, that, that's natural and, and inevitable, right? And it's not like the culture is helping out that much. It's not like the movies or or TV, or, or, or teachers, or, or music, or anything. It, it, it's all glorifying a lot of that garbage, right? Right. So it's, it's like only a mistake if, if you had someone in your life you really respected who sat down and, and told you all of the dangers you were courting and, and really warned you and so on. I mean, you'd still have some excuse because you'd be a young uh, man or a kid, right? But you didn't have anything like that. You, you tell me one positive moral influence when you were younger that you really wanted to listen to and seek out the advice of? I can't think of one. Right. Right. So, man, cut yourself a break. It's like expecting to know Japanese if no one's around to teach you Japanese. (laughs) No, listen, I'm serious. Cut yourself a break. Yeah, it makes total sense. Catch yourself a break. You were doing the best you could with the knowledge you had, and you were still a kid. And a traumatized kid. In a pretty twisted culture. There's no big magic, I should have known better. Like that, That's a crazy standard to have. Everything in your life was pointing a particular way. And we conform to our communities. That's what we do as human beings. We're, we're, I think, biologically kind of programmed that way because if we don't conform to our communities, we don't have kids. And so all the total rebels ended up being outbred, so to speak, by the conformists, right? So this is why the shallows outnumber the deeps and all that. Right? So, so, you know, man, yeah, you can look back, there were warning signs, but 
That's what you know now. But you didn't know, you didn't have knowledge back then that you ignored. You simply didn't have the knowledge, right? And you can't be blamed as a child. Now, parents who have kids, yeah, you, you should read the parenting books, you should learn, that's different, right? But you were kind of, it's like, it's like you were a 10-year-old kid and you woke up in a car rolling down a hill and you're like, well, I didn't steer it too well. It's like, well, no shit, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, cut yourself some, some, some slack with regards to that, all of that stuff. And, and look at how you've acted in a noble, moral, mature, and responsible manner to protect your children, even though that was not modeled for you. Because the moment you got the knowledge, you pursued it like crazy, right? You said you listened to this other YouTuber, you listened to me, you probably read a whole bunch of stuff and, and, and you know, taken the, the right pill in the right way. Right, so the moment you got access to knowledge or the moment you had irrational certainties punctured, I mean, you pursued that stuff like, uh, I don't know if you have been to the races, but, you know, like they've got that artificial rabbit or hare that goes around the track and the greyhounds all chase it. I mean, that's you after knowledge. The moment that the, the dull certainty of conformity gets cracked, you're clawing your way out. Do you know how admirable that is and, and how unfortunately rare that is? Man, that's... that's Incredible. And you are breaking the cycle with your kids. You're calling me, you're looking up other resources, you're considering anti-spanking. I mean, you, you got them out of abusive an abusive environment. You're breaking the cycle. That, that's, that's heroic. That is, you know, <laughs> I sort of made a joke earlier about superheroes. That is being a superhero. That's, that's the cape that counts. You should be proud of that. You should be damn proud of that. Thank you. Your kids will not. Your kids will not to grow up. Your kids will not grow up to make your mistakes. I'm sure they'll make other mistakes, you know, and that they won't be as bad. But that's the greatest gift, right? You can give that. That's uh, my main goal, right? You know, so they don't make the same mistakes that I did, you know. And the mistakes that I'm currently making, you could say. Right. Now, listen, you can have meaningful conversations with your kids. It's just that they have to lead it, right? So you can ask them, like, how are you doing or how's your life or what do you think of this? And just listen. You'd be amazed at how deep kids can get when people actually listen to them. And if they're leading the conversation, whatever they want to talk about is fine. So you would be really surprised at the kind of conversations you can actually have with your children. If you're doing mostly listening, it, it can be very, very powerful, very deep. And it can help stave off the loneliness that I think that the alcohol is wrapped up in. I, don't, you can, I said to you earlier, and you agreed, I think, right? Would you rather, like, you'd rather have a deep conversation than a drink. Well, what if you can have a conversation with your kids? Now... You know, you're not going to sit there and say, oh, your mom was sexually abused, right? Nothing like that, because that's, you know, they're kids, right? But if they lead the conversation, whatever they want to talk about is fine. And I think you might be really surprised at how much depth and complexity can come out of your kids. And that's going to beat the bar, I believe. Anytime. I say, you know what, I'm... 
gonna give that a try. I haven't. Uh, I never thought of that. You know, uh, I've done it. You know, a couple times. It's uh, they they're going through it really emotional, so they uh, they vent a lot. You know about what they're going through. So yeah, and you want them to vent verbally, to. not act out, right? Right, right, right. So teach them. You know, words not words not deeds, right? So to speak. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that will, you know, you just listening to your kids as they talk, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, really, it's really great. I was, I was having a conversation with a kid the other day, and just sort of out of nowhere, he launched into this, you know, he said, you know what really bugs me about adults? They never think a kid has anything important to say. You know, you, they ask you a question, you start to answer, and they'll just move on to another topic or ignore you, because it's like, well, I've done my bit, I asked the question, and... It's like I feel like I've just got to wait till I get older, <laughs> and then people will listen to me. And uh, this was a pretty, pretty young kid, and uh, so I listened, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> it's important. You know, kids are full of a lot of words, a lot of thoughts, and they really, really want to communicate them in the same way that you did. Yeah. So. Hmm. I'm uh, trying to grasp all this together, you know. Well, of course you listen to this again, right? But that's that's fine. Now, let me ask you this. Um, as far, again, I don't really know much about alcohol cessation. Like I, you know, like I don't know how in deep you are, how physically dependent you are. I'm not a doctor or a psychologist or anything. Um, is there any group or or community that that you could join you know like i don't know al-anon or something like that 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 could help you with this kind of stuff uh you know what i've tried but uh it's like if we go it's like going back to uh like when i go to the it's uh how do i say this Uh, they're really indoctrinated. Uh, they would say, oh, the reason why you're drinking is because it's in, you live in this type of neighborhood and uh, they're out to get you kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, you, I, you know, I don't want to deal with that kind of stuff. Does that make any sense? Oh, um, yeah. So if they're offloading it entirely onto society, that's not, that's not the most empowering thing I've ever heard of. Correct. So it's... Uh, I really, I tr I've tried to stay away from those groups. You know, I, I've tried to do uh, research, you know, online, find other uh, other aspects. I, you know, like I, I try to, I work out, so that really helps a lot. You know, if uh, I'll go hit the weights or I, I go to the gym, I'll go for a jog. I try to plan my day so. So I don't, by the time I'm finished, I'm not around alcohol. Does that make any yeah, sense? Yeah, not being in the environment helps enormously, right? Just right. not being in that environment where there's alcohol flowing around and 
all that. I mean, just it's the old thing like with food, right? Like I, I have a bit of a sweet tooth, so what do I have? I just I just can't have the sugary stuff in the house. You know, if it's there, I'll just grab it and snack on it. But if it's not there, I'm not going to drive and get it, right? So there is, um, yeah, this aspect of just keep temptation at bay and don't expose yourself to the situation. I mean, it's a, it's a real shame you live next door to a bar, man. That's, you know, move to the country or something. I don't know, but uh, that's, that's, that's kind of rough. Yeah, it's uh, it's really accessible because it's a uh, there's a liquor store on one corner and the bar is like right around the corner. It's a more of a brewery. It's a brewery. It's not really a bar. Right. So it's uh, so I have like two three drinks within like forty five minutes and and I'm already, you know, hammered because the the drinks are like nine ten percent. So if you get like a regular beer, it's probably like two and a half percent. So by the time I'm already like four or five drinks in, I'm already, you know, toasted and and uh, I try to structure my day. Like I'll go hiking with my kids, or we'll go out, go eat somewhere. I'll, I take my kids to the gym. You know, they they like going to the gym with me. But uh, it's something I I, I is like you said. Uh, I think it has to do a level with loneliness. Where, uh, Let me ask you this: What what feels better? Like, so you go into the to the bar and you feel X, right? And then after a couple of drinks, you feel Y. What's the difference between the two? What's the difference between starting drinking and after you've had a couple of drinks? The uh, w- once I had a couple of drinks, it uh, I feel isolated from society. We're to the point where it's like, all right, I don't have to worry about anything else. It's like my worries go away. I don't know if that makes any sense. Right. They're no, still no, it there. does. I mean, listen, you, you've got some worries, right? I mean, it's not irrational. They're still there. Like, I still think, think, uh, um, I do a lot of thinking when I'm drinking. So I think, and, uh, especially when I'm, uh, when I, when I start getting, uh, drunk. Like, I just sit back and I watch everything that's going on. And it's, uh, uh, I'm pretty uh, saddened. Uh, I feel that uh, society has uh, failed me. Society has, is failing everyone else, and but everyone doesn't see it. I don't know if that makes any sense. It does. So I'm just there drunk you know just watching everything deteriorate and i'm just like okay you know it's it doesn't feel as bad watching everything else crumble while i'm just you know drunk and and it seems uh, it's a little bit enjoyable too when i'm drunk so i just so when i'm drunk and i i see everyone else it's uh it's kind of a machiavellian kind of thing where i'm just uh Oh, that's interesting. I'm so enjoying... it's almost so. What strikes me is it almost is like you're drinking away your misplaced empathy for society or something. Right. Yeah. So no, I, the, uh... the relationship that that thinking people have with empathy in society is is really complex. So, um, yeah. I uh, you know how much how much do we care for a society that doesn't seem to care for us very much? And it's all it's all very complicated, and it requires deep thinking and deep conversations to to come to what is often a kind of moving goalpost, right? Because you get new evidence about society all the time, and 
and so on. So, yeah, it's almost like this. So you said it's interesting because we talked about isolation or loneliness, but in a sense, it sounds like you're drinking in part to detach yourself from society. Yes. So, uh, yes, like I said, I, I, I detach myself from society and it's uh, like I'll just sit there. Let's say I sit there for two hours and I uh, see how people are. And uh, it's uh, I almost feel evil within me, you know, if that makes any sense where I enjoy how people. Uh, people destroy their lives based on the, the social uh, indoctrination they've received, you know, it's uh, I just sit back and it's a. Uh, it's like I was talking to this uh, feminist the other day at the at the brewery, and she was trying to uh, uh, pretty much indoctrinate me, tell me, "Oh, this is," and and I'm just going along with her. You know, I'm not gonna sit there and say like, "Oh, you're full of shit," but I was enjoying it because I knew that later in life she was gonna re regret everything from uh, every choice that she has made. And when someone comes along and tells her, hey, you're wrong. Uh, maybe you want to start a family. Maybe they, no, they, uh, they go into this uh, automatic mode where there's like, no, you're wrong. And they, they don't adhere to the facts. So I, so I just sit there. I don't know if that makes any sense. And, and I, 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 f I find it uh, enjoyable. No, I get it. I, and I, listen, I mean, knowing that consequences are going to accrue to bad people, I don't think that's evil at all. I mean, that, that's, that's a little thing we call justice, isn't it? Yeah, you could call it justice, uh, but... Uh, so when I... Yeah, it's like I, I see it happen. I see it with my friends. Well, not friends. Uh, acquaintances I had in the past. And I tried to explain to them. And they don't adhere to the facts. And I just sit there and I just... I just watch it happen. And it's... Uh, to me, it's enjoyable. That's... Uh, that's what's kind of like weird about it. You know, it's not like, listen, listen. I mean, I, I, I get, listen, I get where you're coming from. And it's not that you want these things to happen, but if they're like, if bad things are going to happen to people and we've tried to talk them out of it and they've attacked us and, and scorned us and smeared us or insulted us or whatever, you know, there is a basic part of us that is like, yeah, well watch the show. Right. Watch the show. And I think it's an important thing, too, because, you know, the, 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 the feminists and so on, they're going to be in a particularly bad position because, I mean, the money's going to run out. I mean, the, the, the government money is going to run out, and it's not going to be that much longer either. Government money is going to run out, and they won't have families, and they won't probably have jobs if they work for the government. It's going to be massive cutbacks and, and, uh, and so on, and they, they won't have men to protect them. And, and suddenly there'll be all kinds of interested in the patriarchy coming around and taking care of them, right? And, you know, yeah. a, a lot of the men, I, I see these comments, you know, online, and the men are like, you know, hey, you, you, you having a heart attack? I'm just stepping over you because you don't want men's help, right? You can do it by yourself. Yeah, and I saw this. It's uh, uh, I had a really, 
Well, I had a, a close experience where it's uh, one of my teachers. I think I was in middle school. She, uh, that's really when I saw this feminist uh, thing really uh, emerge itself when, when I was growing up. So I know it's been going around since like the 60s. But when, uh, when I saw it firsthand was one of my teachers, she was in her 50s. She got pregnant. And uh, she gave birth to the baby and, and everyone was like, oh, my God, see, women can do it all. She's not too old. It's, they were praising her. Right. And something didn't really sit right, right with me. You know, I, I, I didn't I didn't know how to explain it. A few years later, you know, the baby died like three years later oh, due boy. to health problems. And, you know, it's it was sad. But. This uh, this this woman has subscribed to this this uh i i would even call it a religion where yeah you could party you know in your 20s 30s you know you could do whatever you want and if you're 50 you can have a kid and that's not what reality is based upon so and i and i just see stuff like that where it's it's like okay you know go on with your life then um i'm wrong i'm the uh sexist uh, racist or whatever you want to ism you want to throw at me you know so yeah and i think that has a, a lot to do with my loneliness because uh not that many people especially where i live it's uh i think i told you in the email where i live and it's a uh, it's a pretty liberal far leftist uh place where i live and it's if you say anything you know you're ostracized and a lot of bad stuff can happen you know Right. And, and any chance to, I mean, there's just something to consider, like changing locations or something is, is something to, you know, we can't change people, but we can sure change our environment sometimes, right? Yeah. And uh, th that makes it tough on me too, but, uh, because uh, I really can't move here because due to mother has to have yeah, yeah. supervised visits and all that. Right. If, if I could move, you know, I would move a uh, state, you know. Right. So let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, because I find that thoughts generally evaporate from my brain once I've reached a conclusion. Like if I haven't reached a conclusion, you, you know, you just go round and round. Right. But once you reach a conclusion, then you, you can move on. Right? right. So the people who are nasty and entitled and and vicious and and you know verbally abusive or call you racist or um i don't know you're probably like i don't know three days away from being called a white supremacist or something or something like that right so the people who you know kind of insult you and put you down and, and all of that if bad things happen to them not because of any particular individual but just because of the consequences you know like this woman let's say you meet her 10 years from now and she's kind of bitter and lonely and and complaining that men don't pay attention to her anymore and all that right how, how do you what do you think is the rational way to feel not like the should and everyone should be forgiven and we should be nice to, like, but what do you think is the rational way to feel about these kinds of situations that people who do bad things and bad things happen to them, not because of human agency, just because of consequences? I think, uh, I think is, uh, I see it as like, you got what you asked for, you know, that's what you wanted. 
that's what you got now that you now that you have it. Now that you see what for what it really is, it's a it's a kind of a how do I say that? It's a, it, it to me it's just enjoyable, you know. Like we, I don't know if this phrase is used in in your community, but when I was growing up as a kid in England, it was called getting your comeuppance. You know, like yeah, like the, the, the girl who was like, I'm too pretty to settle down with any boy. Like, I, I'm just going to wait for this multimillionaire to come along and so on, right? And so she breaks the hearts of a lot of boys. She dates them, but she won't settle down with them. And she hurts a lot of people. And then, you know, she hits 30. Her looks start to fade, and she can't get anyone. And this is called getting your comeuppance. It's like, okay, well, you, you hurt a lot of people. You, you, had, you didn't listen to people who tell you, listen, this isn't going to last. Your youthful beauty is going to fade. And now you're stuck in a declining sexual market and, and guys don't want to be with you. And, and you've also uh, you know, hurt a lot of people. So you've lost your capacity to love. And it's like, yeah, like, I'm sorry, you've got another 50 years. It's like, sorry, not sorry. That's the complexity of it, right? Like, I'm sorry, you got another 50 years of loneliness where you get to bitterly regret all the, the people, like the dumb mistakes you made when you were in your 20s or whatever. But, you know, that's, that's what happens. Like, that's what happens if, if you don't listen to, to people and you're too vain to, right? I mean, you, you listen to people, right? I mean, you listen to people. You listen to me. You listen to others. And you read. And, and, and so you, you, you're out of this equation. But it's called getting your comeuppance. And it was like, yeah, it, it, you know, it sucks. It sucks. And so how do you feel? Because that's going to happen to a whole lot of people in society, uh, certainly within our lifetimes, I believe. And... How are we? Because they're going to try and manipulate the hell out of us, right? They're going to be crying and, you know, and, and uh, they, they pretend that they never did anything wrong. And they're going to try all the, the manipulative tricks to get resources out of us when there aren't enough resources to go around. How should we feel? We sh I think we should feel, uh, we sh shouldn't feel remorseful. I, I can say that. If we've tried to give good advice. I think we're excused from feeling guilt. Correct. I, uh, you know, I've, uh, but it, it it's crazy because uh, the social norms from what, what I see is like that example that you gave from the 30-year-old, right? Or let's say she's a single mother, right? Oh, yeah, that's another way you could toast your market value, right? So she becomes a single mom, and then suddenly all the guys who want to take her to Cabo for the weekend, they all go, right? They all vanish. Right. So, but then how society is structured today is, uh, you know, I see it where it's like, oh, if you don't, uh, if you don't get with a single mother, you're not man enough, or you're, uh, you're part of the problem, or... Yeah, but listen, man, you know as well as I do, I'm sure, that that's all nonsense based upon the government just printing and borrowing money. Right. That's because, you know, single moms now come with a whole bunch of resources which lazy men can prey upon and just go live with them and have the government pay both, both people's bills, right? So that is not, uh, you know, I'm talking about like when the resources run out. And it's, you know, this is the brutal part about the society that we have is the resources are going to run out. And... It's, it's, it's bad. And what is going to be our response? Because I think you have a sense about that and you're ambivalent about it because you have sympathy 
But at the same time, there's a little thing called justice and uh, also a little bit of vengeance, right? Like people who've slandered and insulted and abused you and all of that. When bad things happen to them, how do we feel? I think we should feel good, good about it. Because, uh, you know, all things come to an end, you know, whether it's good or bad. You know, I feel that... Uh, Anyone that uh, that is aware of what's going on and tries to help out before any, uh, any before any any of this goes uh, before the resources run out, if if you pretty much try to help someone and say, hey, what you're doing is wrong, or and when it all comes crashing down. You should feel, uh, I would even say, proud of yourself, you know, that you didn't fall for this. Or if you did fall for this uh, social indoctrination that you came out of it, you know, before it was too late. I don't know if that makes any sense. A little bit of... Uh, uh, I think it does. I mean, it does make sense to me. And I think it comes back to this... The grasshopper and the ant story, I know you know it, but I'm, I'm sure you know it, but for others, right? So this is a real, it's an, I think it's an old Aesop fairy tale. And, you know, the ant is winter, right? The ant is gathering together all of the food it's going to need to survive the winter. And the grasshopper just sits around strumming guitar and doesn't like sings and, and plays and doesn't gather anything together for the winter. And then the ant is kind of nestled in its little ant home in the winter. It's got all the food it needs. And the grasshopper is freezing its little ass off outside. Right? The grasshopper comes and scratches on the window of the ant helm and says, I'm, I'm dying out here. Like I'm, I'm going to freeze to death. I'm going to starve to death. This is tough because the ant all summer was saying, listen, man, you, you've got to get some food for the winter. This is, this is bad. The, the, the winter's going to come and you're going to be out in your ass hungry and cold. And Now, of course, in the fairy tale, there aren't any kids involved and the ant has you know, twice the food it needs, so it can invite the grasshopper in and, and they can spend the winter together and everything's fine, right? So it's not a really very harsh fairy tale, and of course it's designed to get people to remember that winter is coming and all that. But what does the ant do if the ant has like 400,000 kids? I don't know how many ants, how many kids ants have, but let's assume it's like, I don't know, 10 kids or five kids or whatever. And he only has enough food for himself and his children himself, his little ant wife, and his ant kids. And the grasshopper comes in and wants the food, and there's not enough. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a tough situation, man. That's, you know, for those of us who have empathy, who care about the world, who care about people, that is a tough situation. And, you know, history is pretty clear that everyone who gives up their resources to everyone who failed to plan, well, none of them make it, right? You know, a time, right. a time of hard decisions is probably coming. And, you know, it's like that Game of Thrones thing, like summer lasts for 14 years and then winter lasts for 14 years. Like we've had a lot of summer. We've had a lot of not having to make tough decisions, just borrow money, print money and all that. And it doesn't get rid of the tough decisions. It just postpones them and makes them worse. So I think that, you know, you're probably getting deep down that we're going to have a complicated relationship with people who just didn't listen. And um, you might you might need to sort of practice toughening up, if that makes sense, or, or practice being kind of, Harsh, if that makes sense, because uh, I, I mean, I think that time could be could be coming. Yeah, and I see it too, you know, and I've already uh, 
uh, I've already tried to prepare myself. There's a, you know, I've, I've read a couple books, you know, here and there where you pretty much got to stick your ground and it's like, no, you know, it's like, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bend over backwards because all the signs were there. You decided to do whatever it was that you decided to do. We all try to help you. You guys pretty much ostracized us. And if this has to happen for enable for for you guys to be able to understand that this isn't sustainable and all the resources resources are going to run out, so be it. You can call me evil for it, but this can't be going on anymore further than it's already gone. And if if we allow ourselves to to keep helping, well, and I don't even consider it helping, it's just it's like giving the alcoholic another drink, then you're not gonna solve the, the main issue, if that makes any sense. So And this is this I'm, is I'm a perspective t- that is more particular for those of us who have young kids. Um and, and maybe it's a male thing, I don't know. But uh, we're, we're kind of good at looking o- over the horizon and figuring out when resources are going to run out. Right. You know, there's this, I, you've probably seen the movie The Godfather, right? There's this, you know, women and children can make mistakes, men can't, right? And, and that's, you know, sexist and harsh and so on. But I think that there's a tiny grain of truth in that, in that, you know, if it's winter and you have three kids and you're running out of food, it's usually not the mom who goes out hunting, right? I mean, it's the man who's got to go out and, and deal with that. So I think we're a little bit better at looking over the horizon and seeing when resources are going to run out. And, you know, man, it's, it, it, can get, it can get pretty harsh in those situations. Yeah, and that's, that's how I look at it. You know, it's, uh, I think I've already prepared myself for something like that. And, and we, we, we care about people, which is why... We keep warning them and why we keep trying to wake them up and why we treat, kind of shake them out of their complacency and, and all of that. So it's, you know, we care about people, but, you know, I guess my concern sometimes is that that caring about people, like when resources run kind of thin, that caring about people is going to be kind of used against us. Like, oh, you've got to share everything now. And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's you know, it's, it's a complicated thing. And, and, you know, I mean, obviously alcohol is not going to help you solve that. But if we can kind of figure out what's going down deep in your brain, if maybe you're looking over the horizon saying resource is going to get kind of thin, uh, then you care about people. You want to help people. You care about your children. Obviously, you want them to have a great life. Um, but we've got to have that duality of both caring about people and knowing when caring about people gets gets dangerous for us and, and for our futures. Uh, yeah, that's true. I, I, I see it, you know, it's, uh, and, uh, I think it's, uh, I feel like we care too much too, because it's, uh, where I live, it's, uh, people care too much. You know, there's, there's just a fear homeless problem and people care care too much to the to the point where the homeless don't even care about themselves they they uh they have an abundance of resources where i'm at where you know uh, someone that's uh you pretty much can't starve to death you can't 
it's uh it's over an abundance of resources where it's uh to the point where people are getting fed up where it's like okay we have so many resources and and these people still don't understand so what what's going to happen when all the resources run out and people really do need the help you know or do people and we've tried to warn them well, they, but they can't tell... they can't get the help that's the whole point is that the resources right. simply aren't there right so, i mean so we we can we can be as good empathetic as we want but if the resources aren't there the resources aren't there and the, you know that's i mean we we i mean any sane human being desperately wants to try and avoid this kind of situation but you know, should it come to that, and again, you know, fingers and toes crossed that it doesn't, but should it come to that, I mean, it's really not a matter, like empathy doesn't create resources. It doesn't, you know, just because you sympathize with people doesn't mean that, you know, gold and, and food and electricity magically fall from the sky. Uh, we need the right environment uh, and conditions like a free market and all that to produce those resources. You know, feelings don't produce material goods. They're important for life, but they're not like magic manufacturing machines. Yeah, you can't just wave a magic wand and then, and then out of nowhere you're gonna have an abundance of resources. Which that's what it seems like. It's what people think that uh, you just create a bill and resources uh, come out of nowhere. And oh yeah, just... like like AOC with a like ninety four trillion dollar green energy plan, and but like like uh, um, uh, Elizabeth Warren with her like fifty billion or trillion or whatever it is plus uh, medicare plan or what i mean it's come on i mean this is just it's 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 signatures on a piece of paper it doesn't magically create doctors out of nothing right 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 and it's uh it's amusing to me sometimes i uh i i, I laugh i almost feel like they're comedians you know and people take them serious and i'm just like okay all right i've 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 kind of learned to you know just keep my mouth shut and you know, I'll throw a hint there, here and there, to anyone that wants to uh, to adhere to, uh, I would say, a common sense. But if they they're a little bit reluctant to it, then I'm like, okay, you don't want to listen. That's fine. You can go join everyone else. So, right. Yeah, that's how I see it. So, I mean, knowing all of this complexity, right? Like drinking is not going to, it's not going to resolve this in your mind, right? Right. It's, it's, it's not, but. But that's where the temptation may lie. So listen, let, let me ask you this. Um, I mean, listen, I know what, what a money hole, what a money pit legal action can be with regards to, I mean, I don't know personally, I've never been divorced, but you know, I've, I've certainly heard the stories and seen some of the numbers. Um, would you would you consider uh, like talk therapy or, or anything like that for these these kinds of issues? Would I consider talk therapy for any uh, in, in what sense do you mean by that? Well, I mean like a good a good therapist and, and you know you sit there and, and, and you talk about what's going on in your mind and you know a good therapist can give you great feedback and help clarify where your thoughts are coming from and so on. I mean, would you consider something like that if it, I mean, you'd, I mean, it'd be better to spend money on that if it helps with your drinking than spend money on more booze, right? Yes. You, you know what? It's it, it's funny because uh, uh, where I live, it's, uh, it's like I said before, they have an overabundance of resources, but the, like, I, I would be uh, open to that, but the problem is that 
where where I'm where I live, it's uh, I I almost see it as a uh, as a way to for these people to be employed. They uh, the 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 government's willing to pay for it. Like here, you have a problem. This you know they they find any little niche or whatever you might not have a problem, and they say, oh you're uh. We want to help you. We want to help you. It's not like they really want to help. I don't know if that makes no, any no, sense. No, no, it's not. I, I get all of that. But, I mean, you don't necessarily – I think some people will do it over Skype or, or over the Internet now. So you don't necessarily have oh, yeah. to do it directly within. And, listen, the reason I'm asking for this is is I hope that you would consider uh, – I'd be happy to help you with this. Like, I'd be happy to help you out financially with this and, and you know, pay for a bunch of sessions because, I mean – your your commitment to being a better parent is so admirable, and I, I would really like to to help you out. So if you can find a good therapist, uh, and it doesn't have to be someone local, but if you can find someone like that, and you know, again, I know that the finances are, are really tough when you're dealing with this kind of legal stuff. I would really be happy to pay for a, a couple of sessions and and sort of get you started and and see if it's helpful. Yeah, that's something. That, yeah, I, I would. I would. Uh, uh, yes. Good. Because listen, I mean, I, I, because you're, you know, a, a, a very smart and deep and complex person, there's not like one big giant lever that you pull and say, aha, now your problem is solved, right? I mean, that's usually not particularly common anyway, but it's less common in this particular situation. I think we've talked about a lot of important issues, and I think that they're all kind of in there in the machinery that's driving some of the addiction. But I, you know, I think that it's time, you know, to talk to somebody who's got real competence in this and understands where you're coming from and, and is not, you know, like not a blue pill therapist, which is probably not going to be too helpful and may in fact be less helpful. But, uh, you know, someone who kind of really, really gets it. And uh, listen, I, I hope that you will. I, I appreciate so much your trust in, in talking to me about these issues that I, I would be like overjoyed if you, if you took some help with regards to this and, and, and let me help you get that process started financially. Uh, I, I thank you very much. Yes, I, um, I'm going to look into that. I'm going to do a little bit of research. You know, uh, like you said, I don't want to get someone that's uh, blue pilled because, you know, I don't want. I don't want to ca- cause more damage than. Right. You don't want to pay to, there. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm sure that there are people out there or groups out there that have lists of, of people who've been effective in these kinds of situations, particularly for men's issues. And, you know, I, I think that would be great. And it's certainly easier if you can do it online. Uh, I've never tried that, but I'm sure it's, it's fine. And uh, yeah, just so all you have to do is, you know, you know, just just book a couple, you know, tell me tell me how much it is, I'll, I'll get the money to you and, and get that process started. Because I mean, y- y- what you've achieved is incredible. I think that what you can achieve is, is even greater. And uh, I, I, again, I feel enormous you know gratitude and and honor and respect for for you in this conversation so like whatever i can do to help just please please let me know thank you very much yeah i i have someone in mind that uh that i've been listening to he uh i'm gonna contact that person and see see how it goes but good thank you very much and will you will you keep me posted about how things are going oh yes definitely and will you give a big hug to your kids for me Oh, thank you. All right. Yes, right. Keep me posted, man, and, and stay in touch. Let me know ev- anything and everything I can do to help, and, and uh, I look forward to hearing how this plays out, man. Okay. Thanks so much. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye-bye.